I like death. I like death with sex. How about you, Casey? You like sex with death? Yeah, so fuck off and die. There'll be food and drink and ghosts. And perhaps even a few murders. You're all in fight. I want to kill everyone. Satan is good. Satan is our pal. Detective. Thrill me. Hey guys, and welcome to Betrothed, the couple's guide to genre film. I'm your host, Chris, and with me as always... I'm Katie. And um, this week is exciting because this movie is fucking awesome. Oh my god, I had so much fun watching this movie. Yeah, this week we did Dog Soldiers from 2002. Um, This is uh, the debut feature for um, Neil Marshall. It is. Who you'll know from a whole lot of things. Actually, he directed The Descent, among other things. But before we get going, um, what's going on with you? I got to have a appropriately social distance conversation with a friend today. That's exciting. And I got to meet her um, new rescue dog. Um, we're calling her Baby right now because nobody puts Baby in the corner. and She's just so cute. Yeah, I mean, some uh, 33-year-old woman definitely likes a Dirty Dancing reference. Yeah, hello. Hi. <laughs> Um, so it was really great because I have not seen a friendly face other than yours in, in a few weeks. I'm friendly. I mean, I'm just sick of, you know, dealing with you, but. That's accurate. I love you still. We, um. Are you sure? We're still together. I tolerate you. That's what's important. Exactly. Neither of us have moved out yet. No. Um, but yeah, it was really nice. I stood in the rain with an umbrella and talked to her from about 10 feet away. How John Cusack of you. It was really great. I wish that she was playing me music through her car stereo because it would have been really romantic. <laughs> your eyes. Um, but yeah, it was it was nice. Uh, it's been a little, as I mentioned, rainy here today, which is my favorite kind of weather, um, which is really perfect for a quarantine because I think it kind of uh, nestles in, you know, that stay-at-home vibe, and everyone wants to snuggle up with their their dogs. Yeah, you know it. What <clears throat> it's funny that you say that because when it's sunny out, it doesn't feel like we're in the middle of a global pandemic. Yeah, I feel like I'm like grounded and having to stay home, and I'm missing. I have a little bit of FOMO, and then I realize, oh, no one's really doing anything. Yeah, but when it's when it's cloudy, it's like. This is what I'm. This su- makes perfect sense. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. This feels right. We uh, changed our recording setup a little bit. Um, also, is this the first? No, this is the second week you've had the good microphone. At least, <laughs> yeah, the second episode, at least. Um, and I, f- I feel like we're in the same room now. Yeah, I feel like a grown up. Well, and this time we moved to a table where we can actually sit up and and, and talk. Um, also, this is this is a, a rare middle of the day recording where we didn't decide to do this at like nine o'clock at night, which is nice. Yeah, it's interesting. We're still drinking coffee, um, mm. which if you could have asked me how I spent my day and I or wanted to spend my day and I came up with drinking coffee and talking about a badass werewolf movie um, in the rain, this would be, you know, I think that's there. totally fair. Yeah, I've been um, doing the same thing where I, um, I uh, spend a lot of my time sort of secluded haven't really had I had, actually you know what I had a I had a socially distant conversation I had a really long FaceTime with my brother who lives two houses down from us hey the other day so that's positive but other than that I've just been rabbit holing on YouTube last night 
I was up till the butt crack of God knows what, um, because time doesn't matter anymore. Watching, watching, I, I ended up down this YouTube rabbit hole where I started watching this guy, uh, dude, I can't, I don't even know who he is or what his deal is, but he sounded, he sounds Swedish. Mm. Um, some video, it was like an hour and a half long called, um, uh, what was it called? Illegal freedom. Which sounds like a real like Fox News Chiron kind of thing. It really does. Um, but so this video, it's just this it's just this guy traveling across he's trying to get from somewhere or from Kiev to the Black Sea. Okay. To um Odessa in the Ukraine, but only by like train surfing, like illegally train surfing. Okay. Like, and I guess that's the, their whole brand with him in this YouTube community. Well, the problem is I'm watching it and there's all this great tension. And then I realized by the, by the, it took me a couple days to watch it because I didn't want to watch it like one big go. I realized by the end of it, he's just like full on like old timey hobo bindling across the Ukraine because he's camping out and like he's backpacking, right? But he's doing it like an old timey 1920s, like, uh, I you don't know, feel like this is something that we could get away with here in the Riding States. the rails kind of thing. I wonder if he's done it in the States. I don't know. The, the point is, I, by the time I got to the end of it, it was not at all like what I thought it was going to be. <laughs> it sure. was just watching someone be homeless for an hour sure. and a half, but like old timey homeless. However, whatever you thought it was with going an I, With like an iPhone. Sure, sure. I mean, like he had tech, but he was just hiding from people doing their job. So it was right. really weird to watch, particularly in the time period that we live in now, but... I don't know how I got there. And then after that, I ended up watching like a half hour, excuse me, a half hour long video of some weird guy fucking uh, solo sailing from L.A. Harbor to Hawaii uh, on like a 23-foot boat. Okay. So you were up all night. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. I was up a lot. I wouldn't Mm -hmm. say all night. All night assumes that I haven't slept. And I definitely did. Um, So that's what's been going on with me watching that stuff. After after going through the normal motions of um, one in the morning, almost purchasing a thousand different things on the internet. Yes, that is something I've also been struggling with. Yeah, it's been rough. But luckily, I was able last night to watch Dog Soldiers, finally, because you watched a couple days before me. And to be honest, I've, I, I've seen... So this is the first one we're doing that I've seen this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's been a while since I've seen this movie. And I didn't sure. see it when it came out. When did you see it? When did I see Dog Soldiers? So I probably saw Dog Soldiers just a few years ago, the first time. It was it was made aware to me. And I think it was made aware to me maybe by the podcast Shockwaves. Mm. Um, that is a, a podcast that used to be called Killer POV. And then they moved over to a different network. And then now they're with Fangoria. I, haven't, I actually haven't caught up on Shockwaves in a while. I've got a lot in the, the can, so... I'm going to go back and listen to Shockwaves, but uh, go check that out. Uh, it's, a, it's a really good horror uh, horror podcast. But I feel like the, I feel like they brought it up, talking about Neil Marshall. Mm-hmm. And I was like, ah, I've never seen that. That or I heard, maybe I heard Edgar Wright talk about it on something. Mm-hmm. Um, this definitely has a little bit of a Edgar Wright vibe. And I don't know if it's yeah. just because it's in the UK. and Same time period. They're contemporaries for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, it, and there are... Um, it's also just a lot of fun in Edgar well, Wright. Well, there's some interesting tidbits. So let's let's jump into this a little bit before we get into the actual movie. Let's talk a little bit about the things surrounding it. <clears throat> so Neil Marshall um, was an editor, and uh, and 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 this was his first 
movie that he he wrote and directed. And from what I what I understand, it was a. Uh, to be honest, I've, I've got to get a copy of the DVD because I'd like to hear his commentary uh, or of the Blu-ray. But um, Neil Marshall directed uh, the Descent, which is probably the one he's most known for, which mm-hmm. is an amazing amazing movie. Um, and one of these days, we'll do the Descent when we sort of begin to need some movies that we like. Um, <laughs> yeah, we have to kind of bank those for when we get burned. Yeah. Well, uh, so he directed The Descent. He also did um, he did some episodes of Game of Thrones. In fact, he did uh, he did one of the one of my favorite episodes of Game of Thrones. He did the um, shit. What's it called? Is it the Blackwater Bay? With the one with the where they fling napalm at the yes. ships and stuff. Um, I probably got the name of that episode wrong, but he directed that episode, and you could actually see a lot of that watching this movie uh, mm-hmm. and watching The Descent, kind of his film style. Um, but apparently, I don't know if you did much, uh, background. He, um, he actually wrote this movie in response, cause this was 2002. He wrote this movie in response to, um, American Werewolf in Paris. Mm. You remember American Werewolf in Paris from the late nineties? Yes. It was that remake of American Werewolf in London. Yes. Featuring, uh, was it Sean Everett, Sean Williams, Sean Everett Scott, what's his name? The guy from, uh, the guy from that thing you do. Right, I'm. You know, I'm no help in this situation. <laughs> the the drummer from that thing you do. Yes, he's in that movie, and it's essentially a working werewolf in London, from what I remember, but just set in Paris, mm-hmm. and it is awful. I don't like so it's, bad. It's, it's it's not good. It is essentially a to me, I, from what I remember, it was like a Sci-Fi Channel original movie, as far as I'm concerned. It just was not good, and that's because I I have a. I have a real love for American Werewolf in London. It's one of my favorite movies of all time. I have an amazing uh, Mondo video poster of it, uh, like print. Um, Beautiful. That they did art print that's amazing that um, that is on my wall. Like I, I love that. I have I have uh, John Landis's uh, Monsters book. I, John Landis, you know, as problematic as his son is nowadays, um, and uh, and as difficult as his career ha- has been because you know he was partially responsible for beheading a man and and two children with a helicopter blade. But that's a whole nother story for a whole nother movie. Um, I love American Werewolf in London. And and this movie has a lot of references to it. But apparently he saw that. It sucked so bad and it pissed him off. So he wrote this movie. That was his sort of entry point to this werewolf genre. And you can definitely see that. There's a lot of references to American Werewolf in London in it. This movie is full of references so that's one of the things that i i'm so drawn to about this movie is it's very much up my alley in terms of my style of of, of writing mm-hmm. and my style of like what i like out of, out of movies it's 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 full of references mm-hmm. it's a um it's sort of a the whole thing is a love letter to every like genre movie there's so many references in fact he quoted as saying that you know he might have gone overboard with the amount of references he put in I don't think so. Yeah, and I agree with you, and, and I'll tell you why. Uh, it, it's because I, I read that he said that, but the truth is, in movie nerd terms, there's a ton of references. In sure. normal person watching this movie terms, there's some references that you probably got, but then there's a lot of like deep cut references that I don't even get from like... I'm looking forward to see which ones I didn't get because... I am obviously not as well-versed as you are and many, many other people. Sure. So um, there might be things that I found that was like, oh, oh. Well, there's a lot of stuff in this that I didn't understand at all. Like, I was like, I I know that they are references. And and in hindsight, looking back and going, oh, I don't know that movie. Mm -hmm. Um, 
but it, it's chock full of references. It's it's for its its length, which is a little bit. It's not long by any stretch. It's about an. It's like an hour forty five. It is exactly an hour forty five. Okay, so it um, this movie really um, keeps moving. It, it's well paced. Mm-hmm. The structure is really solid. I mean, this is such a departure from last week with Caged Heat, which I'm sorry, Jonathan Demi, I hate that fucking movie. Um, <laughs> and uh, and uh, however I do see its value in terms of genre, etc., I just I didn't like it. Um, this was so enjoyable. This is a polar opposite. This was a really fun ride from start to finish. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed almost every moment. Of it, there yeah. are things that made me laugh. There are things that um, did startle me. You know, it's definitely a good intro for somebody who's afraid of scary movies. I feel like werewolf movies are a great way to kind of get into um, the genre for people who are turned off by the idea of horror. And it's very much an action movie as well. Oh, um, it's definitely an action. But film. it's it's got all of the above. It's it got it's it's an action film. It's it's a little bit of a comedy, but I think that's because um, of the the tone he's looking for. Uh, and it's purposeful. It's not you know just to be funny. It's um, relief, and it's there's movements to it. It's definitely not you know funny just to be funny. No, and it it, it everything is very purposeful. Um, Every once in a while, though, there is a couple of things where you're like, "Oh, that was a that was just a referencey reference." It, it definitely it it doesn't always feel its time period, but sometimes it feels its time period. Yes, and for better and for worse. For a lot of it, you don't realize that it was eighteen, nineteen years ago now. Jesus, two thousand two is nineteen years ago now. We were in high school. That's fucked up. So what's funny to me is that I immediately recognized. Um, Kevin McKidd, who at this point in time, I had no idea who he was. That would be Cooper. Correct. He plays Coop. And Coop goes on really shortly after this. Um, Within a couple years, he moves here stateside and is on Grey's Anatomy, ladies. Yeah. uh, Katie just went back through and rewatched all of Grey's Anatomy just before the quarantine, which I feel like... Waste of time. Big old waste of time because that's a lot of stuff. Are, Are they current? Are they still going? Yes. Jesus. Yes. Many of the original cast members are no longer on it. It's a a show that I watched, you know, when I was living at home with my mom and Mm -hmm. we watched a lot of serial stuff together and it was, um, you know, a weeknight soap opera. Yeah. And he's like a main character on that show. He is. He plays Owen Hunt, who is a trauma surgeon who is um, ex-military. So well, that he, works. You know, I'd like to imagine that his trauma while Grey's Anatomy was um, from the war. It he, was actually from this just, movie. He just came back. Yeah, he from had from the Scottish uh, werewolf incident. Yes, exactly. So um, this, if you don't know, does take place in the same universe as Grey's Anatomy. <laughs> it does not. No, not I don't on, know. not on the paper, just but just on the other side of the pond. In man. Katie's version, it certainly does. Welcome to my universe. It's really fun in here. It's really fun in here. Okay. Um, one thing that was interesting <laughs> to me was that this only had a two point three million dollar budget, which at the time, it, 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 the thing is that now two point three million dollars is a lot of money in in 
independent film terms. It is. Because you could do a lot of the stuff they did now for way less. And it's just pounds. Did I say pounds or yeah, dollars? Yeah, pounds. So basically, uh, what was it, 2.3 million pounds? That's like three, like three and a half million dollars, mm-hmm, roughly, mm-hmm. Um, depending on the day. Right now, we're in the middle of a massive global economic meltdown. So God only knows what it is. Um, Great time to make a film, folks. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but that's what that I thought was really fascinating because the, that level of movie doesn't exist anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, that's one of those now that like two to two to ten million dollars. There's not a lot of horror movies or comedies really that live in that budget territory. Right, they're your outliers, and they're usually mm-hmm. the ones that kind of break the mold and then um, get remade too many times yeah. because um, studios or production companies realize cough, cough, paranormal activity that it's really cheap mm-hmm. to make that type of film, so they kind of beat it to death and sometimes kill thanks, it. Thanks, Bloomhouse. I love you, Bloomhouse, but thanks. Um, in a way, that's a big positive. I, I'm, I'm, I'm kidding, but you know, it's. It's not. It's not necessarily a bad thing. It, it no. sucks. It, it sucks in one way. You know that a lot of that has been driven by not only that but piracy, etc. I'm I'm a big, and I'm sure this will piss people off. I'm a big anti-piracy person, particularly in terms of um, film because it 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 mm-hmm. has it has um, massive repercussions down the list. It's not just about taking money away from the the studios. It's taking money away from the grips and mm-hmm. the, you know, the... Your union workers. Yeah, your union workers. You're, they're losing money on these deals. Mm-hmm. They're not getting the jobs. It's not all about the people who are getting the mailbox checks sure. two, 10 and, years and later. And that's something people don't necessarily understand is that movies, like a lot of the people that work on movies, like 90% of the people that work on a film set aren't wealthy. You know, they're not making that big money that you see that the actor made, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Uh, or that, you know, in some cases the director makes and in few cases the writer makes, but really not so much. Writers don't get mm-hmm. crazy money. But, um, you know, it really affects that guy with six kids who's, you know, a, a union light worker mm-hmm. for the last 20 years and lives in Shreveport, you know. Mm-hmm. He can't make he can't make a, a movie because you had to have a copy of Vin Diesel's Bloodshot for free. Mm-hmm. Um but anyway, I digress. That that sort of has been part of what brings these nas- these numbers down. So now you have a, um, you have massive, massive, high budget movies, mm-hmm. your blockbusters, um, your big old blockbusters, and then you have these little tiny indies. Mm-hmm. And um, and the the positive there is that it is a lot more accessible to make a film. So you could have you could make a Dog Soldiers now. You could, you know, um, if you had seven friends with uniforms from the army surplus store yeah and, and honestly a good friend who's really good at makeup effects or just get on get on instagram find a makeup artist mm-hmm. they're looking for work mm-hmm. and in a lot of the time you know the big cost in makeup effects nowadays is just in and always is materials mm-hmm. you know and their time does cost money but the materials costs more mm-hmm. in a lot of cases um the reason why people do so much uh cgi is because it, they one of the reasons is because it it is well a it tends to be a little less predictable and and b it's it's expensive to buy the materials so they hire these big old farms of people that do the CGI but one of the things this movie benefits so much from is the fact that it doesn't have much of any CGI right it's really relying on practical effects done in really smart ways yeah um, there's a lot of really great camera work that. Um, improves and exaggerates the perspective yeah um and they just they do a great job of teasing your werewolves as well they tease them but also he does not have any issue with just showing that werewolf 
He will show it. Yes. Because the because we, and when you look at the premise of dog soldiers, they're soldiers. So he, you're seeing the enemy. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? At the end of the day, they are the enemy. Yes. And and the um, and so he so he'll show it a lot from the beginning. And 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 of course, there there's a little wonkiness to him. They look a little bit sometimes like teddy bears. Uh, they have that that the face on some of the werewolves is that sort of like like a stuffed animal almost look, but it looks good. You know what I mean? It, it translates to the screen really well, and sure. it doesn't date the movie at all. See, I didn't get that in when I was actually watching the film. I didn't get that until I was um, looking through photos afterwards. I like to do as little research as possible prior to watching the film because sure. I don't want any spoilers. Sure. So when I was looking through stills, there was a few times where I was like. Oh, it's like a Build-A-Wolf. Yeah, it does have a little bit of that property to it. But but I really enjoyed the silhouette. Well, and one and of the things that, that he did that made it, made the, because it's interesting you bring up the silhouette. Sorry to cut you off, but it's like um, he hired dancers a, instead of um, your your normal and suit guys. And it makes so much sense. Because mm-hmm, they're, on, they're on stilts. They're beautiful. They're basically in high heels. And they're thin enough body structure that mm-hmm. when you put the appliances on them you get that exaggerated dog like wolf like um you know feature to the overall silhouette of the creature um because if you were to you know literally morph the two together you're not going to have a cute little puppy baby yeah as much as i would love to see like a care bears version of <laughs> werewolves um it's just you're more like you're it's a beast it's a um you know a running sprinting animal it's a hunter and yeah. these wolves are kind of gangly they're long and lean and yeah. they have these big rib cages for huffing and puffing and and i really like i really really liked that about it i mean like it, it's sort of in a way it's a lot of what doug jones does it, it, it the creatures felt very doug jones to me and doug jones I'm sure you know who Doug Jones is. He's uh, Abe Sapien in the original Hellboy yes. series. He's basically anybody in a suit that's ever been in a Guillermo del Toro movie is yes. Doug Jones. Uh, he's Saru on Star Trek Discovery. Doug Jones has has been in everything. He's 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 probably the best suit guy when it he comes is. to makeup. And he's done some great films where he he's just a great actor. Is he really himself is himself as well. Well, and as characters like Abe Sapien and like Saru in Star Trek he's a really 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 good actor. He has an amazing an, an uncanny ability to act through the mask and mm-hmm. he has such empathetic eyes. He emotes insanely well. Plus he's gangly and thin like yes. impossibly thin. Yes. Um which really smart move on Neil Marshall's part here of getting the dancers a little, you know, that's a great director's mindset of looking ahead and thinking what the bodies are going to look like with the prosthetics and that kind of thing. Because with the wrong actors, they would have been goofy looking. Yeah. Oh, for sure. And you, you get that in some, in some werewolf movies, you know, one of the, one of the things that is difficult about a movie like, this like a, a werewolf movie in particular is that um <coughs> excuse me i'm still getting through allergy town um the 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 werewolves if they look in the suit if they are too thick and burly and you want them to stand up they start to look um like they shouldn't be standing they start to look like uh like um anytime you add bulk to a, a person that is mm-hmm. sort of even average they start to look like a like a like a professional wrestlers mm-hmm. you know what i mean wearing like a hair suit 
that's why you see um it's another one of the reasons why you see such weird proportions in CG wolves in some of these movies is like well when they're supposed to be upright that's a whole different thing and sometimes the way they shoot the suits that that have a really big upper body and torso it makes them look uh like too barrel chested and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And these are, are very lanky and long. They look like a hybrid animal. Yes, I genuinely believe that these are people transformed into it. Let it get you wolf there. creatures. Yeah, they I, I, you you sold me. Yeah, I think the character, the monster design in this was really great. And honestly, I'm going to say it. I think that the character development in this starts really well, and I think it continues. Through the whole film. This movie starts out, it starts out um, with a lot of characters to give you. And you get to know each one's individual personality. Even though I didn't really know names as well until like halfway through the movie. But P.S. subtitles are helping you with names. Yeah, that's true. Um, but yeah, they, they, they get you from the offset. So so let's... Before we jump in, I do want to mention that yep. this is available streaming on right. Tubi and Voodoo for free. I forget that all the time. Um, you can rent it on YouTube, um, and it is on Amazon Prime Video if you're already a subscriber, or you can mm-hmm. rent it if you're not. It's on Shudder. Um, it is available on Shudder. It's also available for rent um, on Google Play, and it comes with your Sling TV subscription. Yep. So all of those things, which you probably have two of, uh, and they're probably just Amazon and Shutter. Mm-hmm. Um, Maybe YouTube if you're, yeah, you know, a subscriber. Half of those I don't even know what they are, but I'm appreciative that you put it out there for people who might know what they are or care. Hey, you know what? Not everybody subscribes to everything <laughs> like we do. Um, okay, so let's get into this thing. Uh, just breaking it down. So it, it the. The open is really great. It's in Scotland, and um, it's a couple. They're mm-hmm. camping. They're on holiday, um, and it becomes obvious they're you know celebrating something through their dialogue. Yeah. And she gifts him um, a little pen. He's a writer. He's a wordsmith, mm-hmm. and it's a silver sword, but it's a it's a writing pen. Is it a pen? I don't think it's a pen. I think it's is a it just a little like a letter. I think it's opener? a letter opener. It's like yeah. a little baby sword. It's just a little letter. Opener. It's like a knife. Um, it's a letter opener. Because she made some reference about him being a writer and how like I. Maybe I don't know. There's some pin mightier than the sword metaphor or something, but like it, it would be very difficult to write with a pin that's mostly a sharp blade. I mean, I would try. <laughs> I'd give it a go. Well, yeah. So she gives him this letter opener and is very clear to be careful with it because it's silver. So they hit. They're hammering. They're hammering you over the head with a little bit of uh, a little bit of exposition here, but I, I don't mind it. Everywhere mm-hmm. he, everywhere he really um, pushes exposition in this movie, and everywhere he puts things in that I can see the strings. It's okay. Mm-hmm. Because part of it is uh part of it is the your first film. Yes. So you you get kind of a pass there. Mm-hmm. Uh but I feel like if you're just the passive viewer, you don't necessarily um look for that. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of things in this movie that scream this is my first movie. I'm very excited to do a movie. Yes. And I think that's what makes it really 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 effective and and fun, but also um uh you kind of you can you can look at it and go like all right well I'm gonna let yeah. I'm gonna let these little weird twer- uh, There's quirks one or two these word twerks really excited to yeah like you're gonna let that slide just like you saying twerks yeah um and I really appreciate the like the next movement in this cold open because mm-hmm. our couple's making out in the um, tent and there's the zipper move 
Where yeah, I, I really liked that a lot. That's yeah. very. Um, so you immediately sort of hit this. Uh, this this movie has a lot of Sam Raimi in it. Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of Sam Raimi in it. There's some direct references here, but this style of of sort of Evil Dead, uh, almost slapstick. But not initially played for humor, but it's got that vibe the way they did these effects with the, the yeah. zipper going up and down. Tiny bit tongue in cheek and yeah. it's smart, but it's also kind of letting us in. So he's taking he's getting ready to take his girlfriend's pants off mm-hmm. and the zipper kick sound keeps happening, but he's done unzipping her pants. Yeah. They realize it's the, the there's something on the outside of the tent that is tugging the zipper. Exactly. And playing with the zipper and toying with them. I did you become like a weird uh, Southern Belle there for a minute? I was I don't a little know, bit confused. I? Um, Sorry about that. But no, no, I'm just playing. He, he, yeah. So, so the zipper starts going up and down on the tent. So it's a really good back and forth. And this is where we we know some some shits going down mm-hmm. because very fast. Well, we get a big old growl. Yeah, and that lady gets yanked out of that tent. Yes, and then this tug of war happens between her boyfriend and this monster that mm-hmm. we don't see. They're snarling. And the the werewolf's moving her up and down, like slamming her into the ground. Yes. is pretty great. And and he's doing nothing because he, he's in full shock. He's in full shock. And she starts reaching. They do a cut of her reaching for that silver knife because you know... That that is important. It's it's immediately they've shown us the gun in the very first scene. You tell someone not to lose something in the first scene. Yes, that means it's going to come back and be an extremely important plot device, which it actually is. And to be honest, they make you forget about it for an extremely long amount of this movie. They do. It doesn't come up again until the final until confrontation. Um, so he obviously doesn't get that, and then um, he gets his he gets. Oh, the best destroyed for me well. is that. They're tugging and she gets like ripped in half. Yes. And that is just what I'm, I mean, you're letting me know right out the gate that you're not afraid to spill some fake blood. You're giving me humor with, because in a way she wouldn't have been torn in half if he had just let her go, but. I mean, she was, she was going to get shredded anyway. If she wasn't gone by then. So basically these two characters you find out very quickly are uh, full on red herrings. They're not important. Um, they're just set up. Yes, because we get howling over the moon and we get our title card. And, and the title card, Neil Marshall was very adamant about not liking that title card. He really? feels like it feels a little bit, um, it just doesn't look right. And, and I, I tend to agree because once we cut from here to this 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 next open, there's, there's a lot of, um, this movie has this vibe to it sometimes where like it's it's got so much style and it's got it's such a confluence of his influences and such a you know it's like all of the things that make Neil Marshall want to make movies coalesce into this mm-hmm. this movie which is great right and that's again a trademark of this is my first feature mm-hmm. uh, so you see the Neil Marshallism when you watch sort of the descent. And that pulls little things out of this movie. But at first, this movie almost feels like that, because like, it's that era, 2002, like the late 90s to the early 2000s. It almost feels like a Joel Schumacher, uh, like it almost feels like Joel Schumacher produced like a uh, like a um, Joe Dante film. Yes. So it's almost like Joel Schumacher's The Howling. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and and it has that feeling. Like, like it's got this real, like, all of the little military scenes from, like, a uh, Independence Day or one of those big blockbusters. Like, the way he shoots it and the way it, it, it plays out, particularly in these this first chunk of the movie, before it gets to Arch. Because there's a point 
when, uh, we'll get to that. Once we reach the cabin, we definitely get more into the ca- uh, we get more into the um, sort of Evil Dead Sam Raimi territory. Sure, but here then in we're, the beginning, we're stuck in one location. Yeah, here in the beginning, he's he's making sure from this this starting point to make a um, military film. Yes, and in a really in a in a really interesting way. Mm-hmm. But it's got it's got a little bit of that feeling because this is shot on um, on actual film, which is great. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it just has that. It makes it feel like there was a lot more money put into it and a lot more time. Sure. And I think it's because just the passion really comes through here. Well, the first act is really more of a chase movie. And the second yeah. and third act are more of a monster in the house movie. Right. And that's what kind of throws just a little bit. But I think it really works in this instance because we are able to build a little bit of a world mm-hmm. in that first act. And we're able to get to know our characters in a better way. And he, his world building is spot on. Like yes. he builds a world and builds characters and introduces characters like Fast and Furious. Mm-hmm. And he does a great job, especially... Um, as we start with this next scene, um, which in a lot of ways is the the start of the movie, um, because yeah, this is the real. Well, this is sort of the the second cold open. Mm-hmm. The other was more of a prologue. This is where the story that we're that we're really interested in is starting, and this starts two weeks earlier in North Wales. Right, and we uh, are on a foot chase. We see who we're gonna uh, find. Learn in a few moments is Cooper. Mm-hmm. Um, and he is running from uh, someone, and there's a dog, and it turns into this military exercise. And he's got a really good action flashlight move. He does. <laughs> he does this whole, like, beats a guy with a flashlight, flings it, and hits another guy with a flashlight. It's a really good sequence. It's a great sequence. It sets up that Coop's a total natural. He's a natural soldier. He's a bit of a badass. But we learn really early that he has a heart because when asked to kill um, and the uh, bystanding canine, well, he we, refuses. We, f- we first meet in this circumstance his superior officer, Ryan, uh, Captain Ryan, played by Liam Cunningham. Who uh, this movie is a murderer's row of great British actors. Oh, I mean, it wonderful. is so many good actors. Uh, Liam Cunningham in Game of Thrones is uh, the Onion Knight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, that guy's amazing, and everything that he's in, he's good. Uh, and here, it's no different. He's being essentially an, a villain. And from the beginning, you know he's a villain because instead of saving the cat, he literally kills the dog. And I forgot about this full-on point-blank dog murder in the very first scene of this or the second yeah. scene of this movie. I forgot about this completely. Yeah. So, like you're saying, um, Cooper, uh, he wants. They, they catch him and then they discuss how, you know. And he has a great line. They of, give him a time of like, this time it took you X amount of time to mm-hmm. get caught. He's so, best in class. Best in class, et cetera, et cetera. Now he wants him to kill the dog because this is a, do you, are you obedient? Do yes, you obey? It's a test. Yeah. It's, it's, and I wrote down, it's, it's a lot like uh, in the Kingsman. They do the same bit. Mm-hmm. Um, in the first Kingsman movie, it's that whole like, they give you a dog, you have to, you know, that's your companion. You're supposed to kill it. And then you're supposed to kill it because you're supposed Spoiler to show. Spoiler alert. You're supposed to show that you don't. Uh, it's a super common trope. It is. Um, it's it's so that that you show that you, you're willing to do something that you wouldn't normally do exactly. for the cause. Exactly. And I hate that that trope because of what it does. Because it, it, usually that dog doesn't necessarily die. Usually it's like this is a test. Sure. In this movie, 
uh, Captain Ryan says he won't kill the dog. So Captain Ryan pulls out a gun, puts the gun to the dog's head, point blank, and pulls the trigger. And that dog died right then and there. Well, yeah. He blew his fucking head off, Katie. So bad. <laughs> so bad. I appreciated, though, they gave he gave Cooper a pretty decent line. And he's like, it's not that I won't do it. I won't do it for no reason. Yeah. And there's I, I, I ended up writing down a lot. Of, like, a lot of the notes I took on this one were a lot of, like, quotes of lines because there's some some there's some great some lines really in this lines. so yeah he uh he won't he won't shoot the dog and then he basically tells him they get in another little fight mm-hmm. he pulls the gun on him uh and then cooper comes back and they have a little fist fight and uh captain ryan's clearly unstable because he he shows so well and it's interesting what they do through this is it's a lot of anger back and forth but he also shows a lot of weakness mm-hmm. so he shows cooper weakness by then by when he gets in the fight with him and Cooper throws punches, he shows weakness by pulling the gun. Yes. So you immediately see the power dynamic, that there is a hierarchical power dynamic, meaning like he's clearly a superior officer, but there is a um, an emotional and a character power dynamic, mm-hmm. and that you're immediately showing that one guy is, is the weaker guy because he kills the defenseless animal and then pulls the gun in the middle of the fist fight. Yes. So he you, literally brung the gun to the fist fight. Yeah, and it's a it's a it's a really good juxtaposition and it's a really good way to establish character immediately in a second. Mm-hmm. And he's very good at that. Mm-hmm. Which means he's watched a lot of movies. Yes. And you can tell. And that's what makes the best films. And you gotta watch films to make films. Standoff, <laughs> he gives Cooper this great line of I don't do second chances, Cooper, and I never forget. Yeah. And and interestingly, it's interesting that they say this was only two weeks behind because the rest of the movie does play out like it's been years. A bit, now yes. that I in hindsight, it does. Um, but, but it's okay. It kind of works though because um, it kind of shows you the resolve of Cooper's character. Well, it doesn't give Cooper any time to get over it, which is good because once he sees him again, it's on. Yeah, and we'll get we'll get there. Um, then we jump to four weeks later. Who I made slurpy noises on my coffee. And now we're in the Highlands of Scotland. And, and I real have to quick, say, we're not in the Highlands of Scotland. Beautiful, though. Exactly, because we're in the forests of Luxembourg. Yes. So we're not in Scotland. No. But it, it does look that way. It is you know, very It really pretty. does look like it. Because Scotland is more... I wonder if this is... Scotland is very, like, hilly. And I don't think there's trees like this i mean maybe crazy i just know scotland has like a lot of moors and like swamps and you know what i'm doing after this is i'm going to do a virtual tour of the highlands of scotland yeah to just you know i wonder if there's like a google earth that i could just like drop myself in yeah exactly well i'm sure um and we have some we have some great helicopter shots going through the forest so the helicopter comes in a la every good 80s action movie and drops off your soldiers in uh the middle of the shit I mean, like, they drop them in the middle of the shit. And um, yeah. so this is where we learn very quickly that we get introduced to this this uh, this company. And um, <clears throat> you see very quickly the, the dynamics of everybody. Everyone has their little, like, all of this, this military guy banter is fabulous. It is. It's building really great character development. Um, it's also differentiating your characters because other than uh, Cooper, who's your resident ginger, they all kind of look the same. Yeah, and, and it's... They're crew-cut white guys. They all take their helmets off immediately... Yes. ...to show that they are... Well, here's what I thought was very interesting, how they did this. They took all their helmets off immediately, and they all had um, the buzz cut, the traditional sort of yep. military thing, which shows that they they all sort of look similar. But what I thought was really interesting is if you 
if you look at how fresh some of their haircuts are, it tells you in a way, it's just something I noticed, it sort of tells you who is greener than who. Yes. So the shorter their hair is, the greener they are. Yes. You know, which I thought was really funny. Like, I don't know if they did that on purpose, but it seemed like they did that on purpose. It did. It seemed like the the ranks were sort of shown by who's got the shortest hair. Yes. And um, so I thought that was really interesting. And and you immediately meet um, Sergeant Wells. Mm-hmm. who's played by Sean Pertwee, who is an amazing actor who's been in a million things. He was in, uh, uh, he was in Event Horizon. Mm-hmm. Um, this guy has been in, um, sorry, I'm trying to pull up his thing. He, he's a, he's a, he's been in, he was in so much around that era too that, that I thought was interesting. Like some weird movies like Equilibrium and, um, uh, I'm trying to pull up his IMDb so I can give you some of the, the bigger uh, points. But anyway, we meet him right here. And he is, uh, he immediately lets us know that we're in a training exercise against special forces. And um, you notice that their guns have these funky yellow tips on them. And I'm like, okay, weird. And he of course lets us know that they're shooting blanks. So in this training exercise, they're going to be going all out. They're going to be shooting at um, what we learned very quickly to be special ops. Yep. And there it's training exercise. Yes. So we know immediately it's a training exercise. So yeah, that that guy he's been in um he's in basically every English mo- film that you could possibly imagine. Every time there's an English movie that needs that guy, they get that guy. And it's really funny. Cuz I mean, he's like he's even in like The Tudors. Uh he he lands in he's like in Skins. He lands up in everything that is like mis- unmistakably English. Um so he's in Luther. My god, he's in every English thing uh that needs a a gravelly voiced um, short guy who's real stocky and uh, wiry. Uh. And so he has a great moment with Cooper where they start um, some, A, some really good character building. Um, yeah. But Cooper's our, um, our radio, our GPS guy. He confirms their coordinates, uh, where they are. He lays out the game plan. He's clearly second in command. Yes. And we know that he's only been with the squad for a couple weeks. Right, but he knows he knows uh, Sergeant Wells for a long time, and they 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 build that relationship in as the movie goes yes. goes on. Um, so it becomes clear immediately that Cooper's essential, um, and he also has this little lucky rabbit's foot, and he has this great yep. line about how the way things have been going lately, he needs all the luck he can get. Yeah, um, which is a really great like nod to your audience of. Shit's about to hit the fan. This guy needs all the help he can get, and he knows it. Because at this point, we are still in the middle of a training exercise. Everything is, no one's, nothing's really that big of a deal. And it's an interesting dynamic because all these guys have their own little, um, it's like the, it's like in Predator, uh, which is, this is clearly another reference to that era of movie. You know, it's like Predator when every little guy has their little quippy, uh, their quippy little, um, sort of introduction thing. Yes. So you've got the one guy in here. What was really funny is like, I immediately had to write down, I was like, the English people love football. Who'd have thunk? <laughs> so they're immediately having soccer, doing soccer bits back yes. and forth because England and Germany are playing and, and the the one guy's really upset that he's not going to get to, he's going to miss his match. And um, 
So this dialogue is so good. This back and forth, because everything feels really real right here. It does, you know, and 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 you don't have Sergeant Wells yelling at them to like shut up and get in line. No, nope. because it is a training exercise, but he is taking it very seriously for sure. Um, but it, it but it allows them to go back and forth and show who's kind of annoyed about being there and who's really raw and like. And ready it's to good go. cooler talk that is something other than exposition for the story that is character building it's all character building and it's, it's how they converse with a group of guys because at the end of the day these guys relatable well and at the end of the day this is just a group of guys in yep. the woods and and anytime you have a group of people that is supposed to be together and on the same page it's always so good to have their characters just i just like when they have conversations again this goes back to one of the reasons i like this movie it's scary splattery stuff and mm-hmm. and and flashy action filled with a bunch of people sitting around a table talking mm-hmm. it's a lot of people but sitting that's around a how table you convey camaraderie from a group of people yeah. is that they're comfortable having that banter um so no it doesn't take long it's maybe a page of back and forth well and 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 but it's so snappy, mm-hmm. you know, and it's very snappy in a natural way and not in a way that's like, it's not snappy in a stylized way. Yep. It's snappy in a very, it is stylized, but it also feels very real. It feels like a group of friends who are just firing in all cylinders together. Yeah, it's not Tarantino or, uh, you know, and it's not um, Guy Ritchie so much, mm-hmm. but it is It is still, it, it's almost that speed. Yes. But it's normal conversation. Correct. Um, and no one's really like, there's not a lot of exposition that's telling people things they should already know, mm-hmm. which is really interesting. And, mm-hmm. and it's a really smart, smart choice. Um, I also think it's really funny that like, it always feels like English military in movies are only ever doing training exercises. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. in an American movie, they're doing, they're always they're right in the middle of battle. So, yes. so it's immediately very English when they're all just doing training exercises. Also, all of the soldiers are very uh, normal looking people. And in fact, they're a little thin. Yes. And I thought that was interesting because if it's a newer Americanized uh, movie with military, they're you've ripped. got The Rock and you've got Statham, who yes. was supposed to be in this movie. Oh, interesting. Um, Statham was originally supposed to be in this movie, but he ended up doing, um, shit, what was the movie that he did instead? Uh, it's a really, um, it's a movie where you're like, yeah, of course. Oh, John Carpenter's Ghost of Mars. Oh, so, okay. uh, fun side story about John Carpenter's Ghost of Mars. Uh, before we go, I'm going to take a full on tangent. So he was supposed, he was off doing John Carpenter's Ghost of Mars, which is a notoriously bad movie that I do need to revisit because I'm a big John Carpenter fan. And I know that's one of his, you know, less good movies, <laughs> that era where he wasn't making the thing anymore uh, in Big Trouble in Little China. One time when we were living in Los Angeles where, um, where weed is legal, uh, we had these medical cannabis uh, edibles. Mm-hmm. And we got a greenie. A we, yeah, they were called greenies. So strong. <clears throat> the cookie itself was green. Yes. And uh, so so we were, this was probably what, 2012? Yes. This was probably. a long time ago. And, uh, and I, I ate, the dose was supposed to be like a quarter. Mm-hmm. So I ate a quarter of the thing. Mm-hmm. And then um, nothing an happened. Later. Yeah, about an hour later, nothing happened. And I was like, okay. That, that's I'm gonna have to eat some more. So I ate another quarter, and then nothing really happened for like half an hour. So I ate a little bit more. It might have been a whole another quarter of that cookie. Uh, and no, then, I think we ate about a half of it total because uh, we had a roommate at the time, and we definitely ate the other the remaining quarters. Either way, that's neither here nor there. The main point is, I got so high. Well, we tried to watch that it this was film. it was upsetting. 
uh, I was having like I was having a full on freak out because man, because edible edible marijuana is a completely different beast than smoking well, it. And, and and so what I decided was a good idea was that I was going to sit down and just watch a movie. So I put on John Carpenter's Ghosts of Mars, and, it, and at some point, Katie and, and our and our roommate had just disappeared. Like they went off somewhere else. Because I'm sitting here by myself watching John Carpenter's Ghosts of Mars, like laying in the middle of the floor of our apartment, and. Uh, and I'm starting to have a panic attack about how bad the movie is. Not mm-hmm. so much, not so much like that the movie's bad, but I'm like having a panic attack for John Carpenter and for all the actors You're that are in a it. Full on existential and, and it was crisis. like it was like a full existential crisis. My heart was going 900 miles an hour. I don't remember anything about that movie other than it made me so sad for all of them that I was I felt like I was having a heart attack that I had eventually. Then went, laid down, passed out, and went to sleep for about 14 hours. Mm-hmm. And then woke up and was still felt kind of messed up. So that was the worst experience I've ever and had. And you've never messed with medical edibles again. No, I can't. Like at that point, I was like, oh, no, 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 no. This was a bad mistake. I'm not going to make this mistake again. I feel like I should point out for some individuals to please take your medical edibles as instructed. Yes, the doses are there for a reason. And it is at the end of the day medical i will let you know that it was definitely a medical edible it was not a recreational one so they do they're do very different proper dosing and they're that kind very of different um and this was a, a good while ago so i need to revisit john carpenter's ghost to mars because yeah. a lot of people enjoy it as like a like a cheesy movie but man so 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 statham is off doing that and um and uh and and so he didn't do this movie, which he probably should have done because this movie's this movie fabulous. was a lot of fun. This was just this is just great. So we've just now met our, our military yep. military crew. They head out on foot, um, and there's a great line from I believe it's Spoon who says, "Where the hell are we now?" On their way out, because they're just like, "What the hell are we doing here?" Yeah, they don't know where they are. They're dropped into this place. They're just doing a training exercise where it's supposed to be like you know war games. And they clearly don't know much about this exercise. Yeah. It's just, no, we're dropping you and you're combating a special forces op. Like the, it, the chain of command is very clear. Who know, who needs to know what? Yes. Um, and this is where our... Which is more character development because it lets us know who is, who is important. Yes. Um, they walk for a good while. We get to see them walk by some really beautiful itchy cows. We get to see <laughs> them walk by a big creek. Um all of the forest yeah. that I imagine is available in Scotland. And it establishes that they are getting deep deep out into these woods. Yes. And um our guys, you know, they stop for a break. And this is when we get to hear a little bit of the lore, the urban legend about these woods. And I love that. So this is that campfire story sort of scene. So mm-hmm. so they have uh they they all sit down around the campfire cuz this is where they're going to go camp for the night. Yep, they're up against a ridge, a yep. nice safe spot. And you get an immediate like uh you get this you get the campfire story with a group of military guys. Yeah, so you've got guys in their mid 20s just camping out, hanging out. Yeah, and I think that that's that's really that's really a great touch. So uh so wait a minute. This is not where they get to their 
their full place yet. So this is where they just take a break, right? Because mm-hmm. they have got yeah. Because we do. You're right. We walk forever in this beginning. We do. They walk like nothing happens forever. except for it, it is tense. It's a lot of tension. It's good tension. Yeah. Because you don't know what's going to happen next. You already know there are werewolves in this world. We know uh, our people. Well, they don't know that. They don't but know that. They yet. do tell that story about something in the woods. Well, they know that there's something weird with these woods. That there's yep. missing people, and they just disappear, never seen again. And this is a direct reference to uh, American Werewolf in London. This is like what the uh, like what the the people out there uh, in that that live on the moors and the people at the the um, the pub in the beginning of American Werewolf in London are talking about this thing that these backpackers are just disappearing and they think it's just some big, you know, animal or something that that comes to you. So, uh, or some crazy guy. Yeah. They're just kind of brushing it off like you do. And then our group goes back to walking because, you know, they haven't gotten deep enough into the forest yet. Yeah. Do so much walking. So they have that, they have that really good scene. and, And I think that that is such an important scene to set up that like, okay, so this is just at the end of the day, no matter what happens, this is a really fun uh, this is going to be a really fun ghost story type movie. And it is. It actually ends up being essentially a ghost story type movie mm-hmm. with with monsters. Um, and then you said they go back to walking, but they're whistling something here. Yeah, they do this weird like whistle while they walk thing. Um, it's not weird. Every movie does it. What's weird is, what the fuck song is that? Because I have no idea. I, I, I had to go like, okay, what is that song? Because it feels like something that because we're not English and don't have that touch tone, because there's all those little things that are different mm-hmm. between like American and English sort of... Um, uh, I'll tell you what I think it is. Touch points where where we go. like So if it were a movie, if it were an American movie, it would have been like... It would have been like... Yep. But, you know, it... it in a, in an English movie, it's whatever this song is, and I have and you can't even place it, which is so strange because you're used theory. to hearing the same like two whistle songs. Mm-hmm. That I have no idea what this. We whistle is. while we work, or I think this could be the footies team, the theme song, the fight song for their soccer for their team. soccer team. Oh, that's a good point. Because but again, I don't. That's know. That's part of what brings this whole group together. Um, but it doesn't matter because it works as a great team moment where they're all communicating with whistles um and it gives you a great passage of time because we are so deep into this forest and then we switch to this pov um and we quickly learn that it's through binoculars and it's that special ops asshole from earlier who kicked coop's ass and he's watching our group and he's reporting back on a radio yeah. having somebody report back to camp for him so we we clearly know that the game is afoot now so we yes. have we have a clear enemy in this circumstance so you immediately start wondering what does this special ops guy did he hand pick coop's squad for this like right. you're already feeling like something is nefarious a lot of good questions here and that's all you get that's all you get from so, him. This is where we get to our group at the campfire. This is where we get to campfire. And I love all this military bullshit. I, I, I really love military bullshitting when it's just a bunch of military people sitting around telling stories and fucking with each other. Yes. Because it does, it does so much good. I mean, you can do this character development with any group of people sitting around. But particularly when it's military because you expect them to be super macho. But mm-hmm. this allows them to show their... Um, all of the little cracks in the armor. And they're so human because what does our writer of this film have our guys talk about? What they're scared of. Yeah, And that that is perfect because it's perfect setup for what we're dealing with because we are all in this creepy woods. It's getting dark. Mm-hmm. No one's around. They know it's a training exercise, so there's not actually like bad guys out there. Right. But 
there could be other things out there. Right. There's that's a false where, sense of security that right. our group has. So you, they really fall into that false sense of security and start to um, explore their own fears mm-hmm. with each other, which is showing each one of these characters uh, where they're uh, that that they can be. Uh, more emotionally connected and mm-hmm. they can be a little bit more vulnerable. Mm-hmm. So you're showing these vulnerabilities th- to the audience through characters showing their vulnerabilities to each other mm-hmm. that shouldn't necessarily in a normal movie be vulnerable with each other. Great, great stuff. Mm-hmm. And everyone's going around the table doing their like, you know, I'm afraid of spiders and I'm afraid of this and little funny jokes. Mm-hmm. And then we get to a fabulous story. Oh my God. Sarge tells this story and I'm so sucked in that I'm in that movie now. Oh, it's perfection. It's this, it's this, and this is one of the first times I wrote down, like, because so many times in my notes, I just wrote down, uh, this is perfection. This is perfect. <laughs> this is per-. And the pieces of Eddie's story is perfect. So he tells a, he tells a war story about a guy that was friends with him that got blew up right, that got blown up right in front of mm-hmm. him by a roadside bomb. They were drunk, getting tattoos, and his friend Eddie gets this tattoo of a devil on his ass, and he makes this dark nihilistic joke about how the devil will save his skin and so when eddie is blown up by a roadside bomb and our sergeant character is literally picking up the pieces of his friends yeah he is and putting them in it he says that he's like it's like it's all it's he says like it doesn't always get real until you're literally putting pieces of your friend in a bin bag yeah and then it's when you find something you recognize oh that was so good yeah, that's so good. Ear, tip of a finger, and that was such a great yeah. dialogue moment. Um, it, and it's like they're a human, and then they go to being pieces. So, th- so they're not as human to you when you're trying because you're in shock, and then you see parts that you recognize, and they become human again. Yes, it's really brilliant, and and it's so well delivered by Sean Pertwee. He's yes. so good. He does a great. He's so good. Great desensitized soldier right there who this lets a, us know he's still human. This is a master class monologue. If any of you are actors and are looking for monologues, this is a good monologue. Yes. And he's disturbed because when he he finds a perfect piece of skin. He finds the tattoo. The devil tattoo was left perfect. And so the metaphor is, you know, it's one of those things of like, uh, it's one of those like, Making a deal with the devil, you're gonna. The Careful devil's not gonna. Yeah, the devil's not gonna lie to you, mm-hmm. but he's not necessarily gonna tell you everything. He's only gonna save the part of your skin that you put him on, which is a foreshadowing for what's to come. It's really wonderful. Future. And then one of our soldiers cuts the uh, tension with a wonderfully bad so and so walks into a pub joke. Yeah, it gets. It's this real sad moment where everyone's like, "Whoa, you went to fucked up town." And uh, and he tries to tell a joke, and then that's where we have our first big jump scare of the movie. Yes. Oh my god! A mutilated cow is thrown <laughs> onto the fire, and my favorite thing is that Terry, one of our soldiers, just starts shooting the cow in reaction, but he is shooting blanks. Yeah. So he like, just reactionarily he's nothing. starts slamming down the trigger and yeah so he's so they have to remind him that he's because he's got blood all over him so what's funny to me too is that the only guy that gets splattered is that guy yes like and his the blood splatter just, just comes shoot. right off um and uh so so they're immediately like okay it's weird that a mutilated corpse of a cow would be flung off yes. of a cliff and upon investigation there's teeth in this cow yeah there were teeth marks there's right. bite marks there's this this cow is effed up and um, they decide not to radio this in. 
they're under radio silence and they decide they're going to wait until morning. Yeah. Um, and this is where we get another shot of our full moon. We get another shot of full moon and um, they get up in the morning and they decide they're going to go after it. Yeah, they decide that in the morning they decide they're going to do some investigations. But this is where we cut to the special ops guy and he's stalking um, and he's stalking our, our group here. But this is where we see that he's also being stalked. We get a second POV that's different from our binoculars look that something's watching him watching our group. Oh, right, right, right. I forgot um, about that. And that's, you know, our first kind of like intro. And this is where we have uh, gunshots and then blood splatters. And then we cut to the morning where our the sergeant is investigating this cow in daylight. He's got to figure this out. Basically, he's curious, and curiosity eventually gets the best of him because none of this would happen if the sergeant hadn't fucking wanted to follow the trail of this thing mm-hmm. and completely go off the rails of, of what their original mission was. It just, natural car causes my ass was a line that stuck out to me. And then he just, he literally says they're going to do this because he's curious. Yes. So they go off and start to follow down the trail, and this, and this is when we reach murder camp. Oh, my goodness. So they run into the special ops camp. They A flare goes off, and so they're like, now what? And they go off through this gorge, and they find this camp. So they get to murder camp. Uh, and once we've reached murder camp, um, this is where – this is such a fascinating scene to me because it's it's perfectly set up because they know some shit's gone down because this place is full of gore. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's covered in guts. And it's, it's, it's a really brilliant mechanism for them to get – ammunition and weapons Mm -hmm. because you're you're thinking like okay so they're just fucked out here in the woods because this is going to happen and all they have are blanks no they find the camp full of dead soldiers and that gives them all of the supplies that they need this was which is really smart crew and but they're also a little confused that why did they have real bullets this is a training mission we have blanks and they have bullets. very quickly they let that go because there's people's guts on the ground, and which I think is genius because that's what you would do. You'd go, oh, that's weird that they have real bullets, but there's but Jimbo's fucking lower intestine over there on the ground. What's going on? And there was a great line of, they had all this ammo and they lost. Yeah, and they can't find any actual survivors. And if they lost, where are the bodies? Exactly. So th- at this point, they... They also noticed none of their guns were fired. Right. So they didn't even get a chance to get a shot off. Anyway, um, so what they're saying is, at the end of the day, that this is this is weird and bizarre, and luckily, let's just grab these guns just in case. Yep. And this is where they find this Captain is where they Ryan. Find Captain Ryan. Yep, they're trying to uh, call in the emergency, and Captain Ryan wakes up screaming, "Help me! Help me!" and then passes out again. Yeah, they find him like buried under a pile of stuff, mm-hmm. and he's he's really fucked up, right? He's so he's real in, fucked up. He's in shock and he's just torn mm-hmm. to shreds, you know, bleeding out. And all he can say is that, you know, we thought there was only one. We thought there was only one. Yep. He keeps saying we thought there was only one. It's all he you says gotta this get entire me out of scene. Here. Yeah. He's in full panic mode. He is. And um, there was only supposed to be one of these things and we don't know what he's talking about yet, but Cooper notes that um, there's you know, nets and all these other things around. And this looks more like a safari mission than a special ops mission. Yeah. And what was fascinating to me, uh, I, I wrote down uh, yay Kobayashi Maru reference. So there's a, so at one point did you hear that one of, do you hear one of the guys say that 
when they're talking about this whole mission and one of the guys is having a panic attack and he says like this is a fucking Kobayashi Maru. Yes. And I was like, yeah, it clearly is. This mm-hmm. clearly there's a this is a big old allegory there. Mm-hmm. Kobayashi Maru is a Star Trek reference. So if there's a Star Trek reference, I'm gonna pick it up. And um, they, we learned that the the rest of the special ops squad were torn to pieces in front of his eyes. Mm-hmm. And um, all he wants to do is for them to get him the fuck out of there. The radio, both radios are destroyed. Mm-hmm. Neither of the radios are working. When um, we don't necessarily know why. And so we have one great. of the the radio tech guy. Is it is it? It's not Cooper that's doing that. Is it? It's Bruce. Bruce. Okay, so he's trying to fix the radio, and then in the middle of trying to fix the radio, he finds uh, a, a tracking chip. Mm-hmm. He's like, whoa, 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 whoa! Why is this here? What are they tracking? Yep. So this is where he's trying to keep that under wraps a little bit because they don't want Captain Ryan to know that what they found yet. Mm-hmm. Because at this point, Cooper has Cooper. Cooper's recognized him immediately. Cooper recognized him immediately. Did Cooper tell them that he's special ops? I think so because he looks at the the thing. And he says, you know... This is all special ops stuff. Because they're not wearing normal military gear. They're in all black. They're in all black. They don't even have... They only have tags. Mm -hmm. He says that at one point. He's like, just tags. And then, so Cooper tells them that this guy's special ops. Mm -hmm. That's all he really gets into. So that's when things get a lot more secretive between our normal group. They're like, all right, so if something wrecked this whole crew, it looks like an animal attack. They look like they're tracking something. We don't want to tell them what we know because we don't know what he knows. Yeah. You know, because he's not going to tell us anything. Right now, they think he's about to die. Mm Mm-hmm. So, and this is where we introduce our first time crunch because Coop shares that if we don't get him, Ryan, out of here, he's going to die of hypothermia. Right. Like they are up against the clock and Spoon and announces they that get, they've got 30 minutes till sundown. Yeah. And so because earlier in the movie, they try to sync their watches. We forgot about this part because this is technically an important part is it that is. Spoon's watch doesn't work. It's broken. Spoon left his watch um, back Oh, did he leave camp. it? I thought that he had one on. He left it. And oh. so Sarge gives him his, his watch, watch and tells him that he... Okay, this is an interesting, super deep reference I'm going to hit you. We missed this part. So earlier when that happens and Sergeant uh, Wells gives him his watch and he mm-hmm. says uh, he says to him, well, how are you going to tell? He goes, I'm an account. Mm-hmm. Love that. He's a time machine. Uh-huh. But, but you you don't even get it yet. Uh-huh. The character name that they don't say in the movie is Harry G. Wells. He's H.G. Wells. He's a time machine. So that is a really deep reference that just Neil Marshall wrote in there for Neil Marshall. Neil, you nerd. So, yeah, super nerd reference. H.G. Wells, a time machine. Um, so so he's got he's got Sergeant Wells' watch, and uh, so he keeps trying to tell him something. And, of course, Wells is like, would you fucking shut up? He's mm-hmm. like, I have dead people all around me. He's like, look, if we don't get somewhere soon it's gonna be dark in 30 minutes so that's that's fucked up right so whatever this thing is it's probably gonna come back at night yep so they pack up camp and start we hear howling and Mm -hmm. from all around and they pack up camp out here and throw ryan on their shoulder basically and and start trying to drag his ass through the woods and this is where it starts to get really great because now we're in the middle of a full-on chase yep so we send bruce out on recon side note quick quick stop because we're going to lose bruce here soon bruce's full character name is bruce campbell ah so that's great that's another one of the references um so bruce heads out for recon so he is uh scoping out the forest and we've got howls and as our group hits the tree line um 
these howling wolves go nuts. And is this where this is where he decides to separate the group out so that they spread out? Yeah, they're they're trying to be safe. They're uh, in full on mission mode yeah. at this point. So Sergeant Wells uh, tells everyone what they need to do. You go with this guy. You go with this guy. You go with this guy. Um, you keep an eye on Captain Ryan. And we're gonna we're gonna spread out and and, and look for something. Yep. You know, look and for a shelter, a place to go. Do full recon. As they're all moving around, Bruce spots something and he pulls his trigger, but his gun doesn't fire. So he pulls a clip in and out. It won't fire. Does it again. It won't fire. And he runs. And this is when we first get to see our werewolf. Yep, we see a werewolf pretty quick. And um, and it's a good reveal. They just let it happen. And you're like, oh, shit. And then Bruce tears off. He is running. He is tearing ass. And I love almost more than anything when someone is so afraid they kill themselves. Yeah. So he full on suicides himself accidentally. Runs right into a sharp branch of a tree. The old impalement, accidental impalement gambit. And he pays it off really, really well because Bruce is swiped away and the branch is broken. Right. And that is such a great way to use your monster. And and uh, and so this is where Captain or, or uh, Sergeant Ryan Sergeant Wells shows up and mm-hmm. saves the day. So he sees the werewolf now, and so he starts shooting at it. And we get this good little back and forth battle with him and 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 uh, and the werewolf because he's trying to he sees you know, Bruce. But he realizes Bruce is done for. There's nothing I could do here. Yeah. So so he tries to fight off the werewolf and mm-hmm. gets swiped at his guts. Yep. He gets he falls over. He is gutted. I don't know how he his survives. guts are hanging out. He is clawed to shit and he barely evades. But when he gets back to um, uh, he narrowly escapes. And when he gets back to Bruce, Bruce is just gone now. Yep. So he's got his guts hanging out, and uh, this is where Cooper shows up. And sees mm-hmm. uh, sees the sergeant, and uh, and this I thought was a really great scene because he's trying to get the sergeant out of there. Uh, he's got to get him up and get him out of there, and so he he starts trying to like he starts trying to like patch him up mm-hmm. because that's an interesting, really fucked up phenomena in in military stuff. It's like when someone gets either disemboweled or a thing happens, there it's a horrifying human response to put all the stuff back in. Yeah. Because the things are falling out of me, I've got to put it back, and it that upsets me greatly. But I love their 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 little back and forth here when Cooper's trying to do some quick field medic stuff. Mm-hmm. He, uh, Ryan says, "My guts are out." And he says, "Well, we'll just put them back in." He says, "They won't fit." Of course, they're going to fit, and he keeps trying to <laughs> shove his guts in. I thought it was really good. It was because Cooper's trying to be our hero, and Sarge is also it's very trying sad, to be but it's a also because he wants him to leave him. Yeah, and it's very sad, but it's Save also yourself. such a good scene, and it shows their dynamic very quickly. It does. You really get to see their dynamic because they they do have this love for each other, and um, so so they they sort of make him hold his guts in, and then they this is where they're back going through the woods because now they know what's out there. Now we are confirmed there is a monster, there is some sort of giant animal, and it did this. So they're running through the woods, and this is really great. Um, sort of running through the woods stuff because mm-hmm. you've got the the sort of spread out trees. I love that sort of terrain in in these movies because it's it's wide open, but it's also claustrophobic because you can see through all the trees, but it's foggy now because we're Scotland, mm-hmm. and it feels the fog makes this forest that's massive. There's and a lot of open underbrush feel claustrophobic like they're in a little so your your foreground is very claustrophobic, and then your background is just a wall of trees yeah. because it's. Forest. So they're running and shooting into the darkness and it's a running. It's great and firefight through. Just back and forth. Yep. Uh, and, and, and 
you got you know uh, injured guys falling all the time. Mm-hmm. It feels like a really good video game, and we have this great change of um, vision when we see from the wolf's point of view. They almost have this night vision effect. Um, so we know what we're seeing as a werewolf. Yeah, and you've got to do that because you have to have that that POV shot. Mm-hmm. So this is a lot of, um, and this is this is all referential again in here. So as things get frantic, mm-hmm. all of this camera work becomes more and more, more and more referential, which I, which I like uh, because you're seeing little bits of um, of. Uh, like Cabin in the Woods type movies mm-hmm. here. You're seeing, you know, Evil Dead. There's a lot of Evil Dead in this movie. Mm-hmm. A lot of Evil Dead in this movie. Down to the Dutch angles that you'll see later and these like crash zooms that they do. Mm-hmm. I, in fact, it's almost as if, because I know it's the same era and time period, it's almost as if um, Joel Schumacher or Michael Bay produced an Edgar Wright movie, like an early Edgar Wright yes. movie. Uh, and then that's, that's also partially probably because they're contemporaries at the time, but and this is a kind of a post-spaced world that they're mm-hmm. doing this in Edgar Wright space. Uh, and it's before uh, Shaun of the Dead. And that's an actual another interesting fun fact that I'll, I'll, I'll hit you with. Um, Edgar uh, Simon Pegg was supposed to be in this movie. Oh, interesting. Because they're all part of the same like. Wonder crew who people. he was supposed to play. Spoon. Part of me feels like either Spoon or, or maybe even a Cooper. Uh, he would have been at the time. He yeah. would have been a, an interesting person to play that but i do see how he would have probably been more like spoon in this movie but no he, he would have probably even been one of the squirrelier guys because spoon's kind of like a badass like a, he's like the spoon turns into a badass but he's squirrely in the beginning he's definitely the youngest he's our private he's the one that want, that hates to miss his soccer game he's a soccer hooligan he's mm-hmm. a he's a bruiser he's a bru- mm-hmm. but he's a real thin wiry english like mm-hmm. he looks know, like punk. a pub fighter he's a punk um but the, but Edgar Wright actually wanted him to save his first horror role for Shaun of the Dead because they were already in product getting ready to do it. Yeah, they were writing and and so Edgar Wright talked him out of it because he um he was like, come on, don't do your first do your first horror role with this. Like, don't get first. shoehorned. Yeah, yeah, creepy, but yeah. <laughs> um, and so that's just a little aside. So so another guy that was supposed to be in this movie. This is just such a good, just such a who's who of British actors. I love it. It is really fun. And so in the middle of our battle, um, it's getting really like sketchy. They're shooting the shit out of these monsters. And nothing's happening. Nothing's happening. So They're not missing. We, it's great because we get to see them shoot. So many yeah. in these films, they're just wildly missing. Yeah. And, and, and then they um, this, they make it down the, this hill. Yep. They see a, one of the guys uh, who's in the front sees a car coming down the road. Yep. So we see this car, and they run down the hill, jump in front of the car, stop the car. And this is where we meet... Uh, Megan. Yeah, we meet Megan. So we meet our, our other main character here. So Megan does her whole get-in-the-car mm-hmm. you know, thing, because Megan... When they when he introduces characters in this film, he does it super quickly and with like a plum, like it's so confident. You know what I mean? That that he uh, that that you don't even think for a second like who is this person? Mm-hmm. They're just like this is a new character. Here they are. Deal with it. And you're like, okay, I'm right on board with this. And she's great because they do. She does a great job of knowing a little bit too much of inside baseball. Yep. To give us and our uh, squad members a hint. Um, and she is fearless, which I like to see in a female character. Yeah, and she's a really, and this is a really well, um, it's really well thought out and a really well developing uh, character, particularly female 
protagonist that gets introduced as far into the movie because you don't you don't know if she's going to be played for some sort of just sexual tension or you don't know if she's going to be a, a token sort of woman character in a horror mm-hmm. movie you don't know if she's a damsel or you don't know if she's going to be a badass and she kind of is all of it all progressively as we go through the movie and she's played by Emma Cleesby mm-hmm. uh who Probably best known for Dog Soldiers, I would assume. She's been in a handful of things, but she's great. She's been in a couple of um, a couple of Neil Marshall's things. Mm-hmm. She was in his movie uh, Doomsday, which I never saw, uh, which I think was just kind of a flop. It was sort of a Death Race 2000 type mm-hmm. movie. They made a couple of them. So once our squad is piled into her truck... Um, our- oh, oh, hold on. She was in five episodes of Coronation Street, which is the most English thing you could ever do if you're an English person, is beyond the soap opera Coronation Street. Yes, Sorry. very true. Um, they are immediately threatened again because the werewolf jumps on the roof of this SUV. Oh, this is a great scene. And uh, the <coughs> tr- our truck is stuck in the mud and we've got a werewolf hand through the roof. Our guys are stabbing and fighting and they're barely able to get out. She's trying to rock the car out of the mud, but this giant monster's sinking them into the mud. And um I don't who is it that does the actual deed, but one of them gets to cut the hand off. Yeah, somebody oh, chops chops his knife off, and um, oh, I hit the microphone, and uh, and this is and, and this is this whole tension of the car not quite. They're trying to roll it out of the mud while this werewolf is is uh, mm-hmm. is, is is slamming its hand through the. And thing. we get a great line from Megan here. They didn't chop the hand off; they stabbed through it because oh. he keeps telling him to stab the thing. Right, right. and I think that's uh, that's uh, Spoon who stabs it. Uh, we get a great line from Megan, and she lets us know that she heard gunshots last night, and that's part yeah. of why she's investigating the woods. So, right, she lives. She very was looking nearby. for whoever was shooting and saw military people, and then decided to pick them up because something must be going on. Yes, that's what we know about Megan, and uh, and it's played very well. Like like her character progression is also played really well. Um, because at first she doesn't, they don't latch her on to any particular character immediately. It takes a minute. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, so that's a really good thing. She's still at this point, one person and that whole other group of guys is a whole nother person. Mm-hmm. They don't, they're not individuals. And this is where Sarge, uh, confirms to our group that Bruce is dead and he freaks yeah. out a little bit. He has Bruce a is, Bruce is gone. He has his moment. They, they, they get away from the werewolf and, uh, and get the car running and there's nothing more English than a, a Land Rover. Nope. Uh, and so or a Range Rover, there's a couple of Land Rovers in this movie. So Megan and our special ops guy, we get a, a great little tension moment where they exchange eyes and you're like, did that just, did they just exchange eyes? Yeah. They have a little knowing nod. They do. And she decides to help them out because they have injured and she's taking them to a friend's house. Right. Um, she decides that she's going to take them there. She and says there's this family's house up the road uh, a little ways and we'll go there because as she states a few times in this movie, her uh, house is 50 miles away. Yes. And in that's fact, the next closest. Place. I had to go back a couple of times to look up to, to, to watch the subtitles because I couldn't tell if she said 15 or 50. Yeah. And but she said 50 miles and, and that it was like four hours to the nearest place which is funny because there's nothing in scotland that's four hours from people because even in the because the place is not that big <laughs> is scotland like four hours across yeah or? yeah um which 
I don't, I'd like someone in the UK to explain to me why they explain distance in miles because they don't. I thought that was interesting too. They said a lot of miles in this movie and I was just like, interesting. Is this a, I, I didn't know what to make of that, but eventually I just had to let it go and just be like, oh, okay. So we're not going to talk it's in a, kilometers. It's something I notice a lot um, in a lot of uh, UK films. That they will just say it's X amount of miles away. Yeah, oh, that was that was weird. And I wonder if it's because of, you know, the global film market, if we just do that now. And I, I don't guess, I mean, this was, this was 100% independent, so I don't know why. There wouldn't really be, there's not a real reason for him to play to an right. international market. And it was only released in the UK. It's not like they had a... It uh, was only released... Uh, it was only released in the UK uh, in theaters. It was released here. So, so I guess this is a good place to talk about that. Um, here, it was released as a sci-fi channel original movie. Interesting. Before it was sci-fi, like S-Y-F-Y, when it was just the sci-fi channel in the early 2000s. Back when and they, they were, were trying to... I. Yeah, and they were trying to get more content. Um, they sold it to this movie, and or they sold this movie to it and it wasn't his Neil Marshall's decision. It was the producers. It was a mistake, really. And he talks about it being a big mistake. The essentially what happened was it got its it got its it got sold to release in theaters in the UK and in Europe. And when they brought it to America, the producers took the very first offer they got, which was from Sci Fi Channel. Dumb. So instead of shopping it around, it did that. It apparently like, it got yep, a sold. it got a week at um, the Chinese theater. Uh, so it got a week at Grauman's. Yeah, that's not enough. This deserves more. Uh, it really does. And it was one of the reasons why this movie sort of disappeared because he had planned uh, a trilogy. Fun. Um, so this was supposed to be, he had planned out a trilogy and wanted to make three of these. And he said that uh, a couple of, uh, I mean, if you've listened to this, then spoilers are spoilers. Uh, you've you've probably seen the movie, um, and if you haven't, stop this right here. Go back and watch the movie. This movie's fabulous. Uh, you don't have to watch like Caged Heat, but go back and watch this one. Um, he had planned like a trilogy where he he's he says now that it's probably never going to happen. Uh, he just has resigned to the fact that it's done with, which sucks because I'd love to see sequels to this movie. But again, maybe it's a good thing we didn't see sequels to this movie. Maybe it would take away from how like what a good like first take this movie is for because not all of Neil Marshall's stuff has been great mm-hmm. or at least as far as I know, I haven't seen enough of his other smaller movies uh, or his other like more obscure things, but um, Too so, much so essentially thing. Cooper, one of his things was maybe Cooper was going to go off and to fight more werewolves or Cooper might even go off to fight other de- other uh, monsters mm-hmm. because there's a point in the movie where I believe Megan says to him, like, if these things are now, you know, if these things are out there, what else is out there? Yes. And I think that was his sort of entire concept for a, a movie, which is a very which is another reason I love Neil Marshall, because it's exactly what I do. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I'm like, OK, well, I'm going to write this movie about, uh, you know, two guys in their apartment who get uh, who get um haunted by a succubus which i did write a short film about that but then i was like well if i stretch this thing into a series then what if it's just these guys going off having to having to have now that they know this thing's out there they're gonna encounter all these other monsters which i still think it's a great idea and i'm probably still gonna write that as a series but that is such a specific like this is perfect. So we've got a world where this exists and it, this doesn't have to be the only thing that exists mm-hmm. because in this ficti- fictional world, anything is possible now mm-hmm. because you have lycanthropy being a real You open the door thing. to all things supernatural. Exactly. Um, so that, that was, that was what kind of went down with the release of this movie. But anyway, back, back to where we were, we were in, um, 
we're, we bas- we just pulled up on this so house. So our guys are arrive at this house, at this cottage, and no one's answering the door. So Cooper takes charge very naturally, and he goes in and investigates this house. Obviously, the door is open. There's not another person for 50 miles away. And there's a really good trope here um, that I love in these type of movies where it's like a... Uh, uh, in the creepy house, there's a fully set table and there's food on the stove. Yes. And there's literally pasta boiling. There's a fire going. Yeah. So it's somebody, so they've left recently. Yes. And in the middle of something most likely horrible. And he, uh, he finds a a dog. Yep. There's a great jump scare where he finds the goodest boy, Sam. Yep. Uh, this cattle dog. He is, a border collie border who collie. is adorable. Yeah, yeah. He uh, he jumps out of the, the thing and he's clearly been hiding in there because he knows some shit's gone down. Yes. And he, he's he been like put in a closet or a pantry or I something. I think he put himself in there. It adorable. seems that he, the, it seems that he went and hid. So cute. Because every, because clearly his people are all gone now. Yes. They have left. Something bad happened. And the house is all clear. Uh, so the group enter, um, and Cooper and um, sorry, Cooper and one of the other soldiers helps Megan, um, and they are trying to figure out what the hell is going on in this house. Right. Um, and now you've got two injured. Yep. And so they're trying to also kind of get them set, and uh, and and they sit down and immediately start eating the food that was on the table. Which I really love the soldiers eating the random food. Because and Megan Megan's gets pissed a little, about it. Yeah, she's offended by it. And they're like, look, this is where you get we're soldiers. Yep. We're, we're on a mission. You eat. It's like if you can sit, lay down. If you can lay down, yeah. sleep. If you can eat, poop. <laughs> That's exactly right. Isn't that how the saying goes? It's the old saying. <laughs> the old saying. Um, so they eat the food and 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 start trying to assess this situation. We get confirmation that there's no phones, right? Um, and uh, um, Megan is gonna take Sarge um and Spoon to the nearest town. They uh decide that the injured should stay. They should go get help. Um, and they should, you know, they're. What's interesting to me is they're treating Ryan like a, a hostage. Yeah, well, because he's injured, they don't trust him, um, so they're kind of keeping him back. So at this point, Coop and um, is this Coop and Spoon go out to try and get the get her truck pulled up close? No, they're going to use the truck that they just pulled up in. Yeah, the Land truck. Rover. Yep, they're trying to pull her truck closer to the yeah. to the place so, so they, they can, can take Sergeant to go get help. Yep, and um, so right as they go out there. We see, nope, we're not going to do that because the werewolves have destroyed the front end of this car. Mm-hmm. They've ripped up the the engine, so they're stuck there. So this is where they start to notice that these werewolves are actually keeping them in there. Yes, and this is also where we learn that Megan knows more than she's letting on because she has a great little line about how they should leave sooner rather than later. Um, and... When they find this wolf destroying this truck, like well, it's already destroyed it, and then they notice the wolf behind the truck. So it's Mm -hmm. interesting because it's clearly stalking them. And this is a really good scene with Coop, uh, where Cooper tells him not to shoot it, to back down because the wolf is not charging them. Mm -hmm. The werewolf is staring them down, 
and almost daring them to do something. Mm-hmm. So it's, it shows a lot of uh, character on Cooper's part for um, taking charge of the situation and saying, okay, don't shoot. Bring it down. Mm-hmm. Back mm-hmm. away. Slowly back away. And then that's when they sprint into the house. Yes. And uh, he shoots the, he blows up her car. Yeah. He intentionally shoots at the uh, gas tank. Yep. And ignites the fuel, exploding the car, hopefully getting this wolf. And Megan However, gets pissed because she's like, oh, God, my car exploded. Sure. Well, sorry. Sorry about that. Uh, the wolf immediately tries to break into the house. And this is where shit hits the fan in the daylight of a home. And my favorite thing happens where everyone's trying to freak out, close the door, but this exchange between Megan and Sergeant and Sam the dog. Okay, so what? So they 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 get the door uh, sort of barricaded shut because the wolf's trying to get in. Mm-hmm. And at this point, the everybody's freaking out, and the dog is barking and barking, and the dog starts trying to what what really essentially the dog is trying to save. She, he, the dog sees that the sergeant is. Injured, injured. and wants to to try and help him, but he doesn't know how. So he starts grabbing at his bandages, which I had to ask, is he grabbing the intestines or pulling on the bandages? And it's funny that I thought that because I did did write that down because it looks like uh, it looks like he's yanking his intestines and the way he's screaming. Well, originally he wrote it as the dog's trying to pull on his intestines because the dog is just trying to pull him away, and he decided that it wasn't. It wasn't too visceral, but so what they did is have him pull the bandages, but he realized that people see it and you can't really tell if he's pulling the bandages or the guts and either way it's upsetting. So they just left it the way it is. This so is everyone f- notices exactly what I noticed, but he is pulling on the bandages. He is definitely pulling on the bandage. The effect would have been, I think the desired effect would have come across if he had been pulling on his leg. Right. Or is like his pant leg or something? And the yes, it's the same thing. Um, but because of the way they frame it, uh, where and they're in that tight little quarters, they have to kind of do that. And this is where uh, Ryan, Captain Ryan, who's sitting on the stairs, mm-hmm. really wants this dog to shut up. Mm-hmm. And then Cooper wants the dog to shut up, and even though he's not barking. It, it's that he wants Cap. They want Sergeant Wells to shut up. They want Sergeant Wells to shut screaming. up because he's screaming at this dog who's pulling at his bandages. And Megan's Megan trying to stop is him. trying to stop the dog. And then Ryan, our special ops guy, picks up the gun in this disgusting foreshadowing from earlier, and we think he's going to yeah, shoot this it's dog. It's a callback to earlier. He's going to shoot this dog because we all know Captain Ryan hates dogs. Once you're a dog killer, always a dog killer. Um, but, of course, Cooper keeps him from shooting the dog. And, uh, and 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 chastises him for that, mm-hmm. and then everyone, and then Ryan goes upstairs. He runs off. This is hide. where there's a great Terry straight throws up on Ryan's head. Yes. So, oh, that's right. He's saved by the vomit. Yes. So he, the guy vomits on his head in the middle of all this, and then that keeps him from shooting. And that the dog. shuts the dog up. That's right. And then this is where Coop tells Terry to set all the pots and pans in the house to boil, and Cooper starts barking answers. Um, Megan starts asking questions. She wants to know why they're all there. Um, she and also Megan says, and Cooper's sexual tension here is played so well because it's it's this is the first time we get any sort of sexual tension, like any romantic tension between them, and it's it's played through um, it's played through being really pissed at each other, and it's just like it's an actual tension. It's mm-hmm. not just a it's not just a frivolous sort of sexual tension. It is played like a full on I'm 
so mad at you right now. Well, she's mad because she's realizing and she says, so this isn't a, a rescue mission then. Right. So you're starting to see more cracks in her story. Mm-hmm. And we have wolves in the tree lines. Um, and Megan starts to empathize with our wolves here and explaining how to the wolves, um, we're the enemy. And the, this is no ordinary enemy. Um, there's a lot of uh, back and forth about the, you know, the idea of war, honestly, in this mm-hmm. quick little exchange. A lot of metaphor here. Um, and um, this is where we get... We go from that to putting to they're upstairs at this point and they're trying to essentially glue back together Sergeant Wells. They're literally super gluing Sergeant Wells. And he has a long die and Cooper has a long diatribe about how super glue was invented for the Vietnam War, which isn't strictly true. Viet super glue was invented before that. Um and actually it was an irritant and then in the Vietnam War they, they sort of they made this non irritating spray version of super glue, which was made to literally stitch people's guts back together. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. that's what they're doing. And I, I really liked so this is where <laughs> Sergeant Wells is getting wasted. And he yes. is very drunk and they keep trying to keep the booze and painkillers from him because he keeps wanting to drink and he's actually he's drunk and oh, he's- the actor's drunk. Oh, is he? Um, they he asked he asked Neil Marshall if he could have a few drinks before they did this, and he was just like, "Yeah, sure, whatever." It and he goes, "It's so convincing." He's like, "I have no idea how drunk he was, but it's very convincing, and it is because it's such a good scene. He plays it so well, mm-hmm. going back and forth and cycling through. Like, I love this guy. Mm-hmm. This guy's my best friend. Mm-hmm. Talking about Cooper uh, and trying to sell him to Megan because he's in this full on hazy shock state where he's drunk and his guts are splayed." And then they start working on him, and it hurts, and he can't deal, and he keeps moving. Mm-hmm. And then my favorite thing is he tells him to knock him out. Yes. He's like, just fucking knock me out. So he punches him once and then calls him a pussy. And then on the next one, he connects again, and he's knocked out. Yes. Now, that second punch, he actually did hit him in the face. Uh-huh. And so he was bleeding, but he didn't feel it. Because he was drunk. Because he was so drunk. That's really <laughs> so wonderful. Until they cut. until they cut. So right before uh, he knocks him out, Meg and Cooper are having this conversation about the wolves. And um, they talk about how they're not, there's something in between. They're not entirely wolf. They're not entirely human. And we also have a great um, intercut here where um, our guys start, uh, gearing up one of them grabs um an axe we've got a bread knife a sword um they they're finding things around the house that they can weaponize yeah um because clearly their guns aren't working and they only have so much ammo right um and then this is where we learn a little bit more um about meg after we learn she's a zoologist yep um and and she's basically been studying these things. She's found as evidence to support the legends that are going on. And she's um, very practical. And she's, you know, used to seeing guts at this point in the forest. She's talking about how there's just never people. There's just a mess. And this is essentially where she sells to Cooper that they're, these are werewolves. So Cooper tentatively accepts that these are werewolves. And then they go back downstairs to join the crew. Mm-hmm. And she's been here for a year. And in that year, 15 people have gone. And the next day, there's no bodies. They're just yeah. disappear. Um, 
So we go downstairs to tell the whole crew that these are werewolves. And a couple of them don't buy it. And one of them, and I believe it's Spoon that buys it immediately. Mm -hmm. Is it Spoon? He's just like, yeah, sure. Makes sense to me. Whatever. Like, he didn't give a shit. Whatever it is, he wants to kill it. So she talks about ways to kill him. And she mentioned something about, like, an eyebrow thing that's nonsense. And I felt like I missed something. No, he's just saying, like, werewolves, you mean this with this and the, you know, with the claws and the silver bullets and the monobrow? Right. And she says that she's n- that no one's ever gotten close enough to try with silver bullets. What it is is that she's just referencing uh, the, the wolf man. Um, okay. She's, she's referencing the universal horror movie. So that's what he's referencing there. It's just the makeup where it looks like a, he basically just has like a unibrow. Okay. It's not even, it's just a passing reference. So Cooper's very skeptical. Um, and then this is where he decides, you know, there's one thing she does need to know and that's the call sign. She needs to know who everybody is. Yeah. So she starts going around that he starts going around the room telling people all of the, the stuff and they get to Captain Ryan and starts telling him that this guy is this, this, and this, and Captain Ryan doesn't want to tell him anything. He's not part of his team. Nope. And he very clearly, Cooper very clearly tells her and everybody that, you know, he's special ops. He knows something. Captain Ryan doesn't want to say anything. And this is where I get, there's a really good cut right here where uh, where he says, you know, and what do we do about you? Because he wants to, to, you know, tie him up. Because we've already seen that something is happening with him. Because now he's starting to... Heal. He's starting to feel better. He's a yep. lot more spunky. And uh, and and this is and one of my favorite things. It's like we're pretty clear that he's now going to turn into a werewolf. We kind of know that mm-hmm. at some point it's going to happen. And I think it's very funny that like the sitcom pitch is that this 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 guy hates dogs so much that he, he becomes one. one. And then there's your sitcom. Yes. Uh, so this is where this is where they make him show him the uh, show him his stomach, right? Mm-hmm. So they make him show him his stomach, and he doesn't want to do it. So he forcefully ties him down and pulls his bandage off, and you can see that it's healing. Mm-hmm. So they're like, "Shit." The one thing I want to note is literally right before during this confrontation conversation mm-hmm. that they're having, this is where Cooper first finds the photo of the family on the oh, yeah, fireplace yeah, yeah. mantle, and There's he like picks six it up and he it. looks at it. There's like four or six people in it and there's just something about it it's in front of the house that they're in and you can tell his gears are turning it's important but right now we're just going to live in the world where this is just the family we have ryan to deal with um and as soon as we get the reveal that his giant chest scratch is healed the power goes out and this is this is where he they're trying to get information out of him and he says you know they're on the move she says, what are you going to do? Are you going to torture him? And he says, I don't know. What would you do? And she goes, she has a beat and goes, let's torture, I'd torture him. Mm-hmm. And it's such a good back and forth because you know, they, you know, they know each other at this point and they don't like each other. It's clear she has beef with Ryan. And they're keeping, they're keeping this secret to everyone else. Megan has beef with Ryan. Meg Ryan. Hey, there you go. That is a connection. But <laughs> So uh, the the power goes out. Yep, and Cooper leaves Megan to hang out with Sam the dog and Ryan oh. um, because she's you know best to if she wants to torture him he's not going anywhere right. Um, and then the wolves start banging all over the house. They're on the windows. The soldiers are shooting, and this battle begins. Um, Cooper also the, well, well, just the before wolf. this actually we we missed a part. This is where Ryan does say. That he knows, where we find out they do know each other before the torture pit. 
we find out that Megan and Captain Ryan know each other. Okay. But because he says he says that they they know each other, and then they ask the question, and uh, and this is where Megan basically says, "I was I helped them out when they came out on their last right thing a couple okay. of, a couple that of was times." At this point. Yeah, because uh, sorry, this this the, there's so much that happens in this little chunk of time because we're almost to like our we're almost to our twist at this point. Just about. Um so so much happens right here and uh this is where so we we do find out that they know each other. We don't know much. And this is where Cooper has to make a decision after the what should we do or before what we should we do should we torture him where he's now learning that she's kept things from him, but so has Ryan. So who's who does he trust? Yes. So he clearly trusts her because once they're gearing up, mm-hmm. he gives her a gun. Yes. And she puts it in her back of her pants and then goes over and this is where she sits with watches Ryan yes. with the dog. Yes. That's where we got. I, we left that part out. I was like, "Wait a minute. There's something else that happens here." So all the guys but that's are- very important because he's now made he's now drawn his lines. Right. And we also learn right here that they have a finite number of of, you know, weapons and supplies. Yep. They only have Short bursts. You know, one uh flash grenade per each of them. They yep. have to be careful. Um, and immediately, I believe it's Terry uses his flash grenade and, um, to, to fight. But I because love they, that- we have a firefight breakout because they're looking out the window and they see that they're out there mm-hmm. and they're coming no matter what. So yep. this is where we get our first real firefight. Mm-hmm. And we've officially transitioned. Like this is where the game is on. We're in the fun and games of, this Cooper, I love that he scolds one of the wolves with the boiling water. Yeah. Um so this is like a full on siege scene. And I really love that Spoon gets punched by a wolf through the door. And then he like spins and then almost gets squashed by the big red gas tank that like yeah. is falling well, down. Well, and, and I thought that was really interesting about that. It's very telling about that scene is that it, it, this is more character development. So I even wrote it down because I, I was like, never back up to a window to reload. Never. Because so, you know what's going to happen. So something's going to get him through that window, which is what happened. And uh, so he backs up to that window, and that's not good, and he's going to reload. But that that goes back to earlier on in the movie when you see his character being very like like uh, disheveled, and like all of his kit, his gear is out of order. Mm-hmm. And when the sergeant tells him like you know get a handle on your kit, and he has to pick up all of his stuff when they're at the campsite, mm-hmm. this is more uh, character development get showing that together, like kid. yeah that he is the least experienced but he's the he's got the most balls of anybody there absolutely as we'll see in a little bit um and there terry starts struggling in another area with a uh werewolf through a slat covered window yep. um the wolf is holding on and terry shouting for help and this is where coop comes in with the sword and cuts off the wolf's forearm yep um, there's a big crash upstairs and, um, Cooper is worries about Sergeant. Now it's Sergeant. They're like, shit, we got to get up here and go check him out. Yeah. So this is where you first really notice that these wolves, the guys in suits are on stilts and it always works so well. It makes a character, and we talked about this at the beginning, but it, it makes a guy in a suit work so well. If you give him a little bit of like, uh, like supernatural lift. Yep. Uh, and, may, and and when you make a person walk on something they're not used to walking on, like stilts, it gives them an animalistic sort of like Bambi kind of vibe immediately. Mm-hmm. So the rest of their body has to act accordingly. 
accordingly to make mm-hmm. up for the fact that they're on for these stilts. Balance. Which would happen if you were an animal with a completely different system of movement. Exactly. Uh, Your joints a, have to respond and move differently. Exactly. And it's just a really smart move on their part. It is. And we get hands down my favorite shot in the film because when Cooper busts in this door, we get to see this elegant sexy werewolf the big bad wolf lurking over the bed he just and came in through he the window. just came in through the window and this forced perspective this wolf looks like he is as tall as the ceiling yeah. like he is eight feet tall he is horrifying and and this um, is all very uh evil dead here the shots they do they're dutching angles like crazy you know cocking the camera left and right the camera moves and I with think the it's gun very telling about cooper that he drops his Angle. gun and opts for a fist fight with this werewolf no that's not cooper that's uh that's spoon oh it's Spoon. and that's later on in the movie there's a fist fight that happens again but there's a full fist fight with between spoon and a werewolf yeah so but that's at the end when spoon sarge gets his. passes out or he he finally wakes up sarge or i'm sorry oh, i love cooper this is yelling for sergeant to wake up because he's wrestling and fighting with this yeah werewolf and this is where so sarge wakes up and they both just immediately start shooting. So it goes from the fight. They kick him up to the kick the werewolf basically to the window. Mm-hmm. And then they both unload in the coolest little scene where this the captain, the sergeant is on the bed and he rolls over, sees this shit, pulls out two guns. Cooper grabs his gun and they just start unloading into this werewolf. And it's perfect because they're in synchronicity yep. and even drunk Sarge and Cooper on the same page. Yeah. So you have these two characters who no matter who goes where in this movie, these guys are on each other's side and they have each other's back, which is a really cool thing that they're able to show here. Mm-hmm. Um, and they knock him out the window, but the werewolf grabs onto this rope that has been attached. Do do what now? I don't know. I You don't know what this is? No. This is where the bed gets pulled up to the window right. and he gets pinned in between it? Yes. Yeah. So that that's why there's that rope attached to the to the, the bed that pulls the bed over to the window and Coop is now pinned in it because mm-hmm. they're trying to cut the rope mm-hmm. to release mm-hmm. that wolf who's trying to climb back up and grab onto the yes the the bed and this is like it, it pins cooper up against the window and they finally cut the rope at the very last second and the werewolf goes falling out the window because this is where megan comes in and starts flashing the werewolf with the camera yes while they're trying to cut through this big giant rope that they're cutting through with a little tiny knife and uh and that's how we end that scene um, and then I love the intercut with Terry and he has this line of, um, dogs and that they're like pussies. <laughs> yeah. This is the, I wrote that down too, because this is a, this is where Terry goes. Terry's gone now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> More so like it's the end of this scene. Like everything's done at this point. Um, the fight is over. And this, that's where it's just the end cap on the scene is him go, huh, dogs, more like pussies. And then rip through the window and snatches Terry out the window and Terry's mm-hmm. done. Now, I, I, I talked a lot in, um, it was our Neon uh, Maniacs episode about how it frustrated me when they really wasted a character, when they lost that second in command uh, cop mm-hmm. that didn't, that got a little bit of development and then out of nowhere he just dies and he's done for the movie. I started to say, I wanted to say that Terry sort of is that, but this is the way to do that. It is. So we've gotten development from Terry. We know Terry's, we kind of like him. He's, he's kind of gun the, happy guy. No, Terry's not. Yeah, Terry's gun happy because he's afraid. He's yes. the big wimp, he's right? He's the reactionary one. All he, everything he does is a reaction, not an action. And it's okay that we take him now because 
there's a reason for that. Well, he called the dogs pussies. Well, yeah, he does a thing that that then requires retaliation from yes. the thing. So we we need that as far as development goes. But what is so what is so good about this is now that he's gone, we don't know if he's dead or not, but he's dead. Spoiler mm-hmm. alert. Um, but that gives them a reason to get to try and go find him. Right. Because we don't know that he's dead, and he I. Cat, Sergeant basically says... I don't says, think he's entirely dead at this point. Is it the Sergeant or is it Captain Ryan who pretty much says, he's dead? Yeah. Yeah. Sergeant is just like, yep. he, you let it go. He's because, gone now. Uh, um, so, so they say he's gone. And this is where they're like... This is where Megan gives them... As we're trying to get our little situation report at this point. Well, Megan cuts her hand on the window. And Coop has to help her because she sliced her hand on the broken window. And um, and that's a really interesting shot. That was actually part of what he wanted to do with the sequels. Right. So the reason that shot is so specific that she cut her hand there and he shows the blood uh, is that we have, well, we've got a twist coming with Megan very soon. Yes. Um, but so that was a part of werewolf, this werewolf DNA thread that he wanted to roll into. Mm-hmm. This was so much funny. It's so much Spielberg-y. Like, um, there's a lot of Jurassic Park in this movie, there too. There is a lot of Jurassic Park in this movie. All of the Velociraptor, like all of his like Velociraptor, the Velociraptor shots of like people in the woods and the, the, the whole clever girl thing. Neil Marshall uses a lot of that in this movie, and it's great. It works to such good effect. It really does. Um, but that's what that that's what that weird shot of her cutting her hand was for. Exactly. Um, we also have an interesting shot here. This is where Sergeant we we realize he's okay, um, and he tells the group um, that he's you know he's fine, and he tells Cooper that the squad is his, and yeah. that's telling because it's not normal no sergeant is not just giving his squad away and the sergeant is not like fine yet he's still sort of in bed he's just not like but here's the thing he's feeling better which is what's weird this is where sarge pulls out a picture of his wife because he talks about the biggest one of his earlier he said that one of his biggest fears is not being able to see his wife again right uh that's what the only thing that scares him about being a soldier so he pulls out her photo and looks at it and i think this is where sarge dies I think Sarge dies looking at that photo because he goes limp, like passes out looking at the photo of his wife. Oh in yeah, bed before he turns into left. before he he realizes he's, that he's got the lycanthropy. Yes, thing. but he has to die for the yeah. lycanthropy to take effect. Because this is where they now go downstairs. Yes. to leave him to sleep. Everyone's yeah. gone downstairs. Um, Coop joins the survivors, and Meg lets everyone know that they took Terry. And Cooper wants to go find Terry, but this, yeah, this is, is where what Captain Ryan, Ryan tells says. him yeah. to That's let him go um, because Terry's dead. And Joe is pissed. Somebody had to hear that gunfire. Somebody had Mm -hmm. to hear something. And this is where Meg has to reassert there is no one for miles and miles from here. We got 50 miles from here. She said, however... This is where um, this is where. Oh, and a little side note: the actual woman in that picture that his his wife that is Neil Marshall's sister. Oh. Um. So this is where Meg tells them, "Okay, here's the deal. In the barn, there is. We actually have. This is where we set up our timeline. What you guys can't see is when I start to go to another thing. Katie just looks up and starts wagging her finger like, at me, uh, uh, like uh. I don't have this. I'm the leader of this game. <laughs> so whatever happens next, why don't you just enlighten us? Well, this is this is where we get our time update. We've got six <laughs> hours to sunlight. 
Um, and this is this is our race against the clock, which is a very motivating factor of this film because, as you know, when it's daylight, our monster's going to turn back into humans. The goal of the whole movie is to survive the night. And um, this is where Sarge, we realize Sarge maybe has four hours unless he gets work. Um, and this is where she confronts um, Coop about his issues with myth and reality. They have this conversation while he's treating her hand about, um, you know, the, the fine line between confirmation and understanding and um this is where she basically says if you now that you know these are out there what else is out there yes um this is where we're building up to those sequels that never never happened and cooper remains you know resolved um at no point does cooper ever really go like all right these are werewolves until they're werewolves no and there's something between uh megan and ryan because uh captain ryan just will not shut up um, and this is where we really get to reveal that they've worked together before. Yeah, we get more info on them um, working together. They um, are looking out the window and they're talking about how if they um, can just, you know, remain vigilant and not run out of ammo, that they're going to make it. Or is this where he gives her the gun? Was I ahead of you? I was ahead. This is where he gives her the gun, but it doesn't fucking matter. You watch the movie. If you're listening to this, you fucking know what happened. Who cares? And then this is where she's looking out the window <laughs> and spots the old shed. And um, this is where she tells him there's a Land Rover in that shed. It's their car. She doesn't have the the keys to it, but if somebody can hotwire a car, then they can get that vehicle. Mm-hmm. But it's going to be difficult to get to that to that barn mm-hmm. to get it. So who can hotwire a car? And of course, one of the hooligany guys is like, "I can hotwire a car." Of course, he can. So, There's a great jump scare here that's a fake out where what's Sam his name? barks. Uh, Terry? Ter- no, or, uh, no, Terry's dead. Uh, Spoon is the one. Or, Spoon doesn't hotwire the car. Uh, Joe. Joe, that's right. Joe's the one who can hotwire a car. But we're gonna need a distraction. Yep, and um, so he. Um, so they enlist. Uh, they enlist. Spoon to be the distraction. We need something loud and something fast. And what's loud and fast? A soccer hooligan private who is ready for a fight, even if it's with a werewolf. Yep. He goes out and he is bait. He And this is great, what they do here. Yeah. He does a really great job. They play it really well. He lights a flare. Um, our wolves are stalking Spoon um, and closing in. Spoon and, is running. And, it, and, and you're bearing the lead here. This is such a good, like... Like, uh, the, the, this part is so impactful when you get to actually see Spoon do the thing that, that he's good at, mm-hmm. right? So this is clearly what he does after a soccer game, and he wants to get in a fight with the, the rival fans at after the bar. He's screaming at this werewolf, ca- like baiting it, calling it to him, like egging it on. He's, he's really pushing the envelope here. And then once the thing starts running towards him, we get this really great thing where, okay, now Joe, question mark, mm-hmm. Joe, uh, uh, jumps out the other side of the window and yep. starts running toward the barn. So now we've got Spoon running the other direction. Yep. Taking the werewolf in the other direction, and then Joe's running to the barn. At this point, we know there's a couple werewolves, but as long as they're chasing after Spoon, he's going to make it. So there's your distraction. This plan is working 
very well. Yes. They have a rope, and Megan's trying to help pull Spoon back into the house. Yep. Um, he barely gets into the house. And then this is where the wolf pulls the rope on the bed, and it slams oh, against so the window. Oh, I'm so sorry. They've had so many scenes in this one fucking room that it makes me... I got them all confused. But again, if you're listening to this, who fucking cares? The point yep. is, it's cool and so it works really well and it's effective. she's using the camera to flash <laughs> and stun. Yeah. Um, Cooper's working to cut the rope um, that the werewolf is climbing up to get in the window. And then Joe hotwires this car so fast. All right, so we he get to the... hotwired a Land Rover before. We get, of course he has. We get to the inside of uh, the barn and this is probably, I think, one of the most perfect sequences in the entire movie. Um Honestly, this there's there's this is perfection. Mm-hmm. Uh, this this whole thing with the headlights. There's so much tension. Um, yeah, it's a little bit tropey, but it is so executed so perfectly. So he's hot wiring this Land Rover, and he gets it to go. The headlights of the Land Rover come on automatically because uh, for some reason someone had just left the headlights on. And then directly in front of him in this barn, you see Terry. And Terry is in the lap. Alive. Terry is in the lap of a, of a werewolf. Trying to, he's completely, he's he's almost completely bled out. The werewolf is essentially draining and eating him alive in the barn. In the barn, sitting there like with it in his lap, like it's a mother, but it's feeding on it. And and Terry re- reaches out for him, and you see all this in one quick flash with the werewolf. So Joe is like, "Oh fuck!" Slams this thing into reverse mm-hmm. and blows out of the barn. The my favorite thing in the world, though, this wolf bites Terry's throat, rips oh, Terry's right. heads off, and, and throws it at it. Yes. at Joe in the land. And Rover. this is when Joe slams on the gas yes. and gets out of there. This is the mo- this the scene is so perfect and so perfectly executed. And then Joe gets back to the house. Yep, he reverses that truck all the way back to the house. Yep. He floors it in reverse and backs up to the front door. And unfortunately, once he stops. You get this gorgeous little burst of breath coming from behind him because there's another one in the car. And it is a great moment. And it is full on Jurassic Park. And he says, you're behind me, aren't you? Yep. We know. And and he says, didn't he say something to it? He did. He said, you're behind me, aren't you? And then he turns around and they get in a fist fight and blood just... Yeah, it's just a big old splatter. He's done for. Inside the car. So everyone sees the car, so they run up to the door to go Mm -hmm. get in the car and execute the plan. And as they open the door, they see a big old splatter of blood and it is just blood everywhere. It is flooded with guts. And they look in the back and there's the werewolf in the back of the car basically just eating Mm -hmm. poor Joe. So and they close the door. They close the door. The wolf <laughs> jumps after them. Um, Meg shoots the fuck out of this wolf. And um, and this is where the, I think they cut off, isn't this where they cut off with the werewolf's arm? With the sword? Doesn't Cooper go grab the sword right here? Or am I crazy? Not yet. Or something to yeah. that effect. Um, I don't know. I didn't write down the play-by-play of this movie because I was enjoying it too much. So this is where Meg then goes and sits and plays music at the piano. Yeah, and, and I thought that Claire de Lune is... is is really on the nose right here, but it works really well because you you know what that song is, right? Mm-hmm. It's Claire Debussy's Claire de Lune. That's it's in Ocean's Eleven. Um, it's in a million things. It's and it works. And Claire de Lune means moonlight. 
And it is... And it's an homage to American Werewolf in London, how every song in American Werewolf in London has either moon or moonlight or something in the title. Everything is an, an, is is about, is, is on the nose on purpose. And I think it works really well. Mm-hmm. And yeah, sure, it's a little bit cheesy for this if you if you get the reference, but it's it, it, I think it's great. No, it's really great because it kind of gives us a little break between these moments of action. And it also foreshadows what we're about to learn. It does, um, because we've got, you know, our survival sitting around the kitchen table by firelight. There's howling over the full moon. Um, and Cooper goes to check in on Meg. Um, and they're, you know, this is where we start making some eyes. Yeah, this is where we're getting a little bit of a, a little bit of a thing. Um, Coop goes and checks on the um, Land Rover, and there's just nothing there they ask about joe's body and he confirms it's just gone yeah just like all the other missing people mm-hmm. um and then this is where ryan um starts to feel great yeah he relates <laughs> um he uh he totally tells like cooper that if he would have passed he would have been dead about mm-hmm. he he foreshadows back to that original um they kind of start having it out a little bit here yeah and he explains to cooper you know well if i had passed you you'd be dead with the rest of my crew because this is what it was for yeah and this is where he explains to him what they were doing mm-hmm. so this whole thing was that captain ryan um purposefully chose his unit to go out here and be the bait for this werewolf because their goal was to go out into the woods and catch a werewolf. And this is where we learned this was part of the special weapons division. And this is how Meg knows Captain Ryan because she's the zoologist who has offered her services to help them capture this werewolf. The men in white coats who train dolphins to stick mines on submarines. Exactly. Um, And this was an opportunity for them. So they decided that they wanted a werewolf in he, their ranks. And he purposefully, or they wanted at least to get a hold of a werewolf and figure out how they could utilize it to weaponize it. Mm-hmm. Which every special whatever, going as far back as it can be, when you get into the weird metaphysics, I mean, if you even look at like Hitler and the Nazis, they, they, they were so much like, there's so much paranormal uh, and, and metaphysical stuff that they were dealing with, trying to find ancient paranormal artifacts and, and things like the spear that, pierced jesus's side and trying to find the you know this this staff and this this is a super common thing in history and it's so funny that well of course and it's called dog soldiers so the whole point of this movie is that they want to make dog soldiers Mm -hmm. they want to make werewolf soldiers Mm -hmm. and so this is where we also get captain ryan's full-on transformation which i think is incredible it is great ryan starts changing And there's a great that's a dog line in here. And this is where Cooper spots the sword. Yep. Um, Megan uses the camera again to flash. Spoon is shooting. And this is where um, Coop comes after him with the sword. But Ryan Dog, who I'm calling transitioned Ryan, um, escapes. Right. He gets out the door. Because at this point, it's better that he just runs off. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, so he so he bails as a werewolf, which I, just, I love this transformation because it's done on the other side of a table, and it's such a good cheap way to do a transformation because he's down and he's back and he's down and he's back, and you do most of the makeup work with the hands, yep, and the eyes, yep, and and things you can do very the easily face. practically, and the things that honestly matter. What's interesting to me is. People say that's kind of tropey, but the truth is if there's one thing about yourself that you you know the best, there's a reason why we say you know something like the back of your hand. Because you all you, cause you really see your hands more than anything. Than literally anything. Yeah. Um, so it works because it's such an iconic, you know. For it, me, it's just my penis. Sure. Because well, I'm always looking at my penis. Yeah. 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 That, I mean, that's fair. I think that most men are that it's way. It's fair so to say. That's true. Yeah, I think we should change the saying to something like, <laughs> I know you like the tip of my I penis. I know you like the back of my penis. Yep. Um, so, so yeah, it's done through the hands and through the eyes. Yes. Because you, the, the, the hands are the thing that make you realize who you are, and the eyes are the things that make other people realize who you are. Yeah, so you're changing yeah. the window to the soul. It's very specifically done in a really effective way. It is. And it's not cheesy sometimes we see transitions where there's a lot of like popping and bone well stuff and that's just not necessary in this unless it's it's an american werewolf in london which point it's the best transformation that's ever been done of a werewolf ever and it does all of those things because it's done practically and done so well but but anybody who's they all can't they all they all can't be that Exactly. Um, so and this is where the remainder of our squad, our survivors, are fortifying the house. Yep. Um, Cooper realizes that the dogs are at home and that we're in their battleground. He has to kind of change yes. his perspective. So he understands now that, wait a minute, this family is the werewolves. Yes, he is and putting we're these in, things together. He's put this together and we're in their house. Mm-hmm. So now what it is is that they are purposefully trying to keep us in their house and... They're hunting us. So he really starts yes. to put these these things together. And in this conversation with Megan, she is letting them know that they're good, kind people. Yeah. So she knows them. She's like, why would they even do this? They're good people. And this is the first time we're confirming that she not only knows who these mm-hmm. wolves are, but... The, well, she knows that they're their, their people. That they're people. She's letting on that, that she knows them based on him coming to the realization that it's them. So she's acting like she just now realizes it's them too. Mm-hmm. And he has a great line here. Where he goes, well, I, that, I hate that because we're going to have to kill them. Mm-hmm. Um, because now it's on. Mm-hmm. There's down to like three people left in the house and they're like, all right, everyone's going to get, we're getting out of here no matter because what. Because he has a reason to kill these dogs. And now we get, this is where I believe we get uh, Sergeant, um, the Sergeant comes back in because this is where he wakes up. Yes. Um, and he clearly realizes that he feels fine. Co- uh, Spoon asks about uh, Sergeant and um, they, Coop doesn't really know what to say. He just says he's with us. Like he's still... Holding on, but he hasn't checked in with them in a minute. Yeah, because he's he's. It's a really good little scene between Cooper and Spoon, where he's like, "God, what do we do about him?" He's like, "It's all right, he's with us." Because they're starting to think, "Uh oh, he's probably going to be one of these things too." Mm-hmm. So they go up to check on him, and this yep. is where he's awake and he's feeling good, and he knows what's coming. Yes, he does. He's strangely enlightened and yeah. kind of at peace with it in an yeah. interesting way, which kind of hammers home my idea that he's already died. Yeah. and come back. And, and well, that's the thing. It's depending on how you view lycanthropy in terms of mythos. Because the way you're saying it is a little more like vampirism. 
So in or vampirism, like a zombie, they die and come back as a yeah. But the same thing with vampirism. Sure. So so in terms of the vampires, they're they're calling them the undead, right? Right. They they they'll call a vampire undead. So it's not it's dead, but it's not it's not dead, but it's not alive. Sure. Right. So whereas a werewolf is dead, or Infected. I mean a zombie is dead and come back to life. Sure. Um, but in terms of mythos, a vampire would be an undead. So that makes me question: Well, what is a werewolf? What is lycanthropy? Is it just a disease? You know mm-hmm, what I mean? Is it an mm-hmm. infection? Mm-hmm. D- depending on how you view it. So in a way, I guess what you would what I would say about what you're saying is you're correct in that metaphorically. Um, that is where Sergeant Ryan or uh, Sergeant uh, Wells, Wells died. Yeah, and now we have he's no longer just Sergeant Wells. Werewolf Sergeant Wells yes. is now born. Um, and even though he hasn't turned yet, because he's still they even said it, he's got a couple hours on Captain Ryan. Easy. He's just got a couple hours on him. Yep. And um, there's and he this- makes a great metaphor. Did you get that part? Okay. So I think it's, it might have been a tossed off thing. I wanted to do it before we got too much farther forward. Where I feel like I, I, I feel like it's the first time I've ever heard um, lycanthropy described via a bowel movement metaphor. <laughs> when he says something about like like because he's trying to tell him that like can't you just not go? Like can't you not? Can't you just hold it? He goes. It's like he's, he's like isn't isn't like taking a piss? He's like you can just can't you just do it like when you need to do it. Uh, you know, can't you just hold it off? He's like, or can't you just do it and get it over with or hold it off? And he basically says like, uh, says like, no, it's more like a, it's more like a, I've got to take a shit. He's like, you know, I've got to do it, but I'm not just going to drop down and do it right in the middle of everything. Like it was a really mm-hmm. funny metaphor for like, I've never heard anyone just talk about becoming a werewolf through the lens of having to take a drop of big old Duke. <laughs> and it works. It works. It makes a lot of sense. It's a, it's a very good way for two soldiers to explain that to each other. Uh-huh. And this is where we get to see um, Sergeant Wells is clearly feeling fantastic. And he's making, um, well, he's making cocktails. He's making bombs. Yeah, he's making Molotov cocktails. And uh, because now they've got a new plan. Yes. And this is where we get our, um, we've got a plan. So we're going to, we, we, we assume that the werewolves are living in that, uh, that barn because he's like, okay, so if they're not here, where are they going to be? They're going to be in a warm place where they can kind of camp out. Right. Mm-hmm. They needed a home base. Cause they need a, they need a, um, they need their den. Right. Mm-hmm. Cause Megan starts to explain to them that they, they're pack animals, mm-hmm. and there's usually like wolves travel in packs of six to eight, et cetera. She starts expl- setting the scene, and she starts literally kind of telling them they're probably in the barn, mm-hmm. and she lets them figure that out on their own by giving them some of the information because this is where we really start to see Megan start being calculated for She's the first pulling time. Some strings. So it's interesting if you watch the less clothes Megan wears and the more her hair goes back into Ripley mode and her you know tank top is out and it's full of the gun show now. So Megan starts being more calculated mm-hmm. and Megan's character is shifting. So she basically allows them to think that, okay, the werewolves are probably in the barn mm-hmm. makes perfect sense. So what are they going to do? They're going to blow that motherfucker up. Yep. So the plan now is that coop is going to coop and um, spoon are going to get into the, 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 um, Coop's going to get into the Land Rover, and he's going to start driving it towards the um, towards the barn. So while he before he does that, uh, uh, Co- a spoon goes and cuts the before he fuel does that. Line. Wells admits to Coop that his stomach is healed. Yeah, I know. This is where he talks about the the werewolf thing. They already talked about that. That's where he basically is like, "I'm a werewolf. Look, 
my yes. stomach is healed like i'm I'm a werewolf yeah. and then he compares it to taking a shit and um and so now they're pl- and then they talk to megan and megan explains to them that you know this is how wolves do they're probably in the barn and once they get moving on this sarge does that thing again where he wants to be the hero and let everybody get oh, away he wants to do this and then but cooper doesn't want to do it and they have their constant back and forth of like i'm gonna save everybody nope you don't need to i'm already dead let me be already dead I'm going to save everybody. It's it's kind of a tropey yep. sort of action movie or war movie thing. But Coop basically so tells him. So they load up that gas tank that we found earlier yeah. in the house and into the truck and they yep. cut the gas line. Because there's a whole lot of these tanks in the house because they're in the rural part of the woods and this is how they get gas lines to their to their yep. thing. You got to have su- supplies, man. And it's a full Jaws reference because we've got these big tanks and mm-hmm. the whole idea is essentially that they're going to shoot the tank and the tank's going to blow up and kill the werewolves. Yep. That's the Jaws gambit. Yep. But instead what they do is put it in the back of the rover. Yep. And what I was saying earlier, they're going to have Coop drive it. Yep. He drives up. And then bail out. Bails out. But they let, uh, they had, they had Spoon. Spoon cut the line so that it makes a, a long row, you know, a long yep. stream of gas. It's the it's a token thing. And but it works really well. It's very effective. Well, and Spoon can't light his match. Spoon can't light his match. So um, so what happens? Cooper rolls out of the thing at the last second. Spoon can't light his match. And then Captain Ryan comes in to save, or uh, Wells. fucking Sergeant Wells comes in to save the day. Yes. He chunks one of the Mazeltov cocktails. <laughs> One of the what? One of the one of the things. The Molotov cocktail. Molotov Mazeltov. Two different things. Nope, yep. Different cultures, different people. Sorry. Completely different things. Um, so he throws the cocktail and ignites it that way. I'm not even gonna try anymore. I'm done. Um he comes in and he saves the day. Because when you throw one, you say Mazeltov. Yeah, isn't that what happens? And then you blow a motherfucker up. Because you're breaking the glass bottle? fire <laughs> yeah that's what that's how they invented them one time at a at a at a jewish wedding mm-hmm. they went to step on the glass but the glass was full of mm-hmm. uh kerosene and a and a rag and it was and then someone lit it on fire no yeah i think we understood judaism yeah i just perfectly accurate just happy easter guys so that's how they light the thing on fire it works perfectly it goes out there and it's a huge gasoline explosion and the barn blows up it's a dope explosion it's great and it's a it's a big old gasoline bomb, and I love to see that. And it's a wonderful miniature, like that. Uh, that no, that's not a miniature. I think the barn was a real. The barn was a real one. The miniature is the the other one is a miniature. Uh huh. Um, and then Meg has this weird like apology to Cooper. Um, yep. She admits that they thought she thought that they were her best chance of getting out. Yep. Um, and that there is no out. Um, and then this is where this is the twist. Coop figures it all out. Well, she sort of tells him. Well, she says he, they were never out there. They're only in here. Mm-hmm. And he realizes that um, there were no wolves in the barn. Nope. Um, this is also where, um, is this where it is? He looks up the photo again and he realizes the only reason why you're not in the foreground of this picture is because you're the one who took it. Yeah. And so she, so it's pretty clear that she is sort of, she's been, masterminding this whole thing because from the get-go she thought that they would just save her because essentially she was running Mm -hmm. when she ran into them she was essentially running from away away from the wolves because she what it sounds like is she wanted to get out of this family yeah she's been stuck there so now she kind of has just gone well i think that from her character point of view they've now tried to kill these people like 20 times 
she's she's like I can't let them die because they are good people, but mm-hmm. she's not allowed to leave because she is a werewolf as well. And she like there's this good line about how she didn't choose this, um, and but now she's decided she's just going to let them in. And now she's cho- decided she's choosing him. She's choosing what do you Cooper, mean? Which is weird. Wait, what? Yes, there is a line where she says she chooses him. And she says, they were always here. I uh, I just unlocked the door. It's just that time of the month. And it's this weird, like... Um, yeah, it's a PMS joke. Yeah. It's, it's just an but, awkward so moment. What is she saying that she wants to turn him so that they can be together? Is that what she's saying? That I think moment? that's what she's insinuating because she was hoping to get out of there um, and all that. But she... Um, she said something about how like he may think that all women are bitches, but she's the real thing and how she didn't choose this. Like she's the real bitch Uh and she's kind of alluding actually she's an actual bitch. Yeah. And then, okay. So that makes sense. But either way, this is where this is a great shot where they pull back on her starting to turn with the werewolves behind her, which this is an awesome shot. Yes. It's beautiful. And this is where shit really hits the fan. And this is where Sergeant Wells shoots her between the eyes. And it's a really great, shot because she hasn't transitioned she's mid transition so -hmm. we're not sure if this kills her or not if she's wolf and we never see her again enough we have no idea she could be alive and we just don't know and that's why they did that it's on purpose because he had sequels planned yes um coop and sergeant (laughs) run upstairs um our wolves are closing in cooper uses his uh his flash grenade and spoon is in the kitchen um, so we've got wolves chasing the guys upstairs. We've got, um, spoon in the kitchen fighting a dog and, um, they're all having these one on one fights. Yes. But the spoon fight, this is where he has a full hand to hand combat, or as I wrote down a hand to paw combat, you never see a guy fist fight with a werewolf. Nope. And this whole scene is so good because spoon at this point is in full hooligan mode and he's like, fuck it. He starts fist fighting with this werewolf, mm-hmm. bobbing and weaving, just full brawl. And the werewolf is fighting back that way. I thought this was really great. And and then at one point, he starts just stabby stabbing the werewolf in the most violent... Like, oh, I love it. He like, went full psycho on this guy. Psycho stab and like prison shank style. Like mm-hmm. chick, 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 Until it just stabbing the bejesus out until but he can't do anything anymore. My favorite shot in this fight was when he kicks a tooth out of the wolf's mouth. That was pretty great. slings into the wall. Yeah, it goes across the room and into the wall and then he stabs the shit out of it. But at the end of the day, he's fighting a werewolf unarmed. He was never going to win this battle. No. And he gets pinned up against the wall. The werewolf has him. And he says, probably my favorite line in the movie. He looks at this werewolf square in the face. He knows he's about to die. And he says, I hope I give you the shits, you pussy. And then he, the you werewolf. fucking wimp. No, he says, you fucking pussy. Doesn't he say pussy? They called him a pussy like 18 times in this movie. Um, and then this is where the second wolf joins in. And um, anyway, he says, you, you wimp. And, and and I just think it's really funny to tell it's the thing really that's about great. to eat you that you hope I it gives hope, you diarrhea. I hope I give you the shit. I'm super not appreciative. I don't understand how you're not appreciative of that line. I wrote that line down And it too. writes the I whole thing. It, it makes so the whole much. thing suspect. And I think that we should just end the whole podcast you know now. What? All right, guys. That's it. <laughs> Fuck off and die. Fuck off and die. Um, now, okay, so, so Spoon is gone. Spoon's gone. And I'm really sad because I liked Spoon. I liked Spoon too. But he's that character. He's a hothead. He's going to go. He is. It's, it's, it's honestly lucky that he made it this far. I love He was throwing literally everything, including in the kitchen sink, at this wolf. Yeah. And um, 
I also like that there's... So we're cutting between Cooper is fighting as well, and he's stabbing... um, He stabs a wolf between the eyes, and I don't know why, but I really liked that shot. Yeah. Yeah, it really stuck with me. It's a really good... There's just really good fights going on there, and this Mm -hmm. is where now he gets upstairs with... Um, isn't this where he gets all the way upstairs with uh cap with uh, Sergeant Ryan? Who Sergeant Ryan's in the bathroom now? Mm-hmm. He's stuck on the he's pe- he's been trapped in the water closet. He's trapped in the water closet. Coop's trying to get to him. I'm kind of hoping that we're gonna have a uh toilet eaten scene from yeah, right. Jurassic Park. Well, Coop gets into uh, yeah. He's, well, and honestly, because we had we have so many Jurassic Park shots. Anyway, Coop Coop gets gets he's up busting there through the walls, and he's in the bathroom. He doesn't realize the sergeant is in the water closet of the bathroom. Well, he's fighting a wolf at the door, <laughs> yeah. and uh, sergeant is fighting in, a wolf at the other door. Yes, at the other door in the water closet. And there's a door between them. And um, they, sorry, they uh, should get in the. Uh, <laughs> Who are you apologizing to? You. Um, this is where, like, th- there's like this weird, like, they bust in. And then um, Coop gets to Sergeant, and then they break through the wall into the neighboring okay, bedroom. Okay, I was a little bit confused by the... Um, so this, is the f- this is the first time in this movie that the geography of the film is confusing to me. Yeah. And it's because somehow um, Coop gets from... He's trying to find the sergeant, and he's asking... He's screaming for the sergeant. The sergeant's yelling for him, telling him he's in the fucking toilet. Mm-hmm. So... Somehow, Coop, while he's trying to fight off this werewolf that is trying to break the door down, makes it into the water closet. Mm -hmm. And I can't, for the life of me, put together how he got there. But I think we need to just live in the world where Coop now gets into the bathroom with the sergeant. Mm -hmm. Because the sergeant is spraying, has got a can of Lysol, and he's... Because and he's spraying fire in a lighter, and he's spraying it at the werewolf. Yes, that he, can only get his head through the door. He's made a flame, a, a bathroom flamethrower, and he's running out. And that's when Coop comes in. Yes, and now Coop's below him at the yes. bottom of the toilet. And then this is where uh, they break into the neighboring room, and they decide um, the the wolves are going to break in. Like they're they're right outside the door, and sure. Sarge tells them they should get in the uh, the wardrobe. So they hop yeah. in this wardrobe, <laughs> and at their feet, they find a skeleton. Yeah, at their feet, they find a skeleton. And that was a really... <laughs> shut up. That was a really good shot. At their feet, they do. They find this... There's like a whole bunch of bones. And <laughs> they decide to go down. This is where they oh, oh, break yeah. through the so floor. This is how we get into the other room. So they there's nothing they can do about it. They find out that they're in this wardrobe. And then what does he say? He says something to him. He was like, open your mouth. What He said something weird to Coop here that feels like, like I don't know why he said to do this. Um, it seems like a reference to something that I don't get. It's like a close said, your eyes and open your mouth. Yeah, but he was like, close your eyes. Is it close your eyes, open your mouth, and watch your toes? Yes. But what is the reference? I don't think it is a reference because that's when Sarge shoots out the floor from underneath sure. them for them to drop through. Explain to me the purpose of opening your mouth. I don't know. That's why I'm like, what is this? Is this a reference or something? Maybe to keep his ears popped? I don't know. I but anyway, no I don't know that it matters so much, but I, there's, these are those little reference points where I'm just like, what is that for? And is it something that's just completely over my head? But they fall through the floor. Mm-hmm. And this is where they, they land in the kitchen. 
where Spoon has been unfortunately taken bit to pieces. Yes. And I literally wrote down, uh, they fall below and find a puddle of guts formerly known as Spoon. And there's a, uh, a reference here that made me laugh because it was super cheesy, but it's that time period. So he's they're trying to figure out where Spoon is, and Sergeant realizes who's in there, and Cooper finds- says, well, what about Spoon? And the Sergeant says, there is no Spoon. It's a Matrix reference, and I was like, it's so 2002 right here. It is. Because he purposefully, I mean, it's definitely a there is no spoon This thing. is where the watch comes back, because he confirms. He finds the, the watch, He that's finds right. the watch and knows that it was And that's where he goes, spoon. wait, where's Spoon? And he goes, there is no Spoon. Mm-hmm. And then the werewolves start to break down the door again. They're trying to get yes. in. Yes. So and they realize there is a... And Sarge wants, um, I'm sorry, Cooper wants Sarge to go with him. They're, he's going to go to the cellar. He, they find the cellar door. They find, they realize there's a cellar door right there, a, a, a hatch. Yep. And they open the hatch and <clears throat> Sergeant starts to do that thing where he just lets Coop go first. And then he's like, you're coming with me. And then they have their big moment of like, yep. look, you got to go. I'm done for here. Sarge can tell that he's turning. His eyes start to turn. He can feel it. He can feel it. Um, he's screaming, and there are sparks. And the um, he the uh, the wolves are trying to break in the kitchen. They right. barely barricaded the kitchen. They just about gotten the door broken down. He covers. What I thought was really smart is he takes the time to cover the cellar door with the rug, almost to hide it from himself. In well, a way. yeah. So so what we skipped over is Coop gets. Coop does get into the, the into floor the and he goes yep. away. And then yep. so they close the thing and then And then Sarge is trying to sabotage the kitchen. Yeah, so he he's he's having this is a really good scene of um of uh of the this actor is doing such a good job at doing the pain of transformation and he knows it's coming and it's gonna happen no matter what. So he they really let him chew the scenery here and and fall around the room and, and throw himself around until he sees the oven, which They've shown so so they do this a few times. He he, it, it's another um, telling point about this being Neil Marshall's first film mm-hmm. is that there's a lot of foreshadowing of objects and mm-hmm. and yes, that's the thing you should do. But boy, they do it a lot in this movie, and I'm okay with it. But they show that purposely show that gas stove earlier yep. and purposely turn that gas stove on like early on in the now movie. This is the third time we're back to the stove. Yes, and so now we've seen the stove. Third time's a charm. He he pulls the bottom open of the stove, mm-hmm. pulls out the gas line. Yep, and cuts it. Chops with a knife. the gas line with a knife, and then and sits by it. Also, I wanted to make a point that if this house had been up to U.S. code, that would have been a braided line, and there's no way he would have been cut through it. Correct. He would have had to have shot it, <laughs> just like. Um, well, he wouldn't shot it. if he shot it. Then the whole thing would have exploded. Well, right. that's a good point. They he could do have that, done it that another, way. They do it in another film. But anyway, he cuts this gas line in half. Yep. As I digress, the, he's screaming, and then he starts the he sparks the stove, the stove top, and uh, at this point, blows Cooper's, the house. Cooper's down below yep. um, with Sam the dog. He's they're down safe there with Sam, and they're the cellar. they're theoretically safe. He starts to see bodies down there. Yes. And interesting fun fact: those bodies are from are leftover bodies from the movie Event Horizon. Which which uh, Sergeant um, um, Wolf dead Sergeant Wells. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've been doing this forever now. Sergeant Wells uh, was in that movie. So the the top blow the top of the house blows up and it is a great miniature explosion. It's a wonderful explosion. It's a great explosion. It's clearly miniature, but it looks so good. I miss miniature explosions. So it's basically like just they made a miniature and blew it up with gasoline mm-hmm. because. 
quick movie making fun fact for those of you who aren't aware when shit blows up the only time it blows up in a big fireball is when it's gasoline mm-hmm. so when you see a big fireball in a movie like when a car blows up that is a gas explosion they put basically trash bags full of gasoline inside that car and blew up the trash bags if a car just exploded it wouldn't actually be a big fireball you don't get a fireball from certain explosions like that you get like pressure waves sorry um so you just great big gas explosion and then cooper's down there with sam the dog below and he's dealing with the emotions of everyone's dead at this point mm-hmm. and he thinks he's okay but he's found where they've been hiding all their food sources and their bodies so this is why all the bodies disappear he found the whole uh special ops team they are strung up in the basement like a meat like a like a yep like a meat like a feed room factory meat factory what's a meat like a meat cellar processing plant fridge meat fridge like a butcher's closet? I can't. I don't have anything anymore. My okay. brain's completely broken. This is where... They hang in the bodies like the meat. They're going to make, make make a man jerky out of them. Mm-hmm. They've drained all of the meat juice out. And they're dry aging the bodies. And they're tenderizing. You know, yeah. they're just... They, they've, they've saved themselves a snack. That's this right. This is where we I think, prefer dry aged Englishmen. I do too. Um, we think that, you know, this is it. We think that Coop survived. Yep. But. Double twist. Ryan, the werewolf, shows up and he still has the sword stuck in him. Yeah, I that love that. Coop plunged in him earlier, which so, is wonderful. So he shows up because clearly he's been hiding down here because as we know, Captain Ryan is a is a pussy. Yes. Uh, as this movie would be, would want to, yes. to call him. And he... Um, he shows up and now they're going to have a fight. Yep, they have a fight. There's a great shot where this the sword sticking through. So he pushes him up against the wall. Yes, and, and then he tries to use the sword that's sticking through his body to pierce him inches from Cooper's face. But what bothers me so much is that close up shot of the the blade went between Cooper's teeth. Yes, and just pressed between his teeth and went like <sighs> up against it. And that oh, it, oh, it fucked with me real bad. Oof. It got, You've got me, sensitive teeth. Yeah, and that's just not somewhere you want to go. Um, but he, the the dog saves the day. Yes, Sam saves the day. Cooper's talking mad shit, and Sam the dog barks at Ryan, um, and it, it helps. Uh, it distracts Ryan. Just, he doesn't just bark at him. He comes up and he bites and <laughs> bites pulls him. him away. So, so that gives uh, that gives Cooper a chance to to. Go for the knockout yep, blow. And he is searching for something to weaponize. And this is where we find the mini sword yep, there from it the is. prologue of the movie. There's the uh, the 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 very opening shot where you get the, the letter opener. Uh, he sees that it's shiny and he stabs him uh, squarely in the chest with it. Yes. Um, and there's a really cool... I like the effect. It's almost as though this silver tarnishes the body as it magically affects yeah, the wolf. It, it, it kills the shit out of him. It like goes green as mm-hmm. it kills um, the uh, Ryan, um, and he's he's still stabbed and like char- like he's fighting as he's dying. And it's a really great. And Coop has a great line where he says, "You think it's all over?" And then he says, "It is now." And this is where he uh, shoots uh, werewolf Captain Ryan in the head. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a great blood wash of yeah. the full lens, and which he, I always love. And he bursts love. like a balloon. And uh, so so then we have Ryan, or we have Cooper um, walking away. He walks yep. up 
through the earth into a completely, you know, the house is just rubble at this point. Yep, he returns up that cellar door. And I like that he has the sword. Yes. He has the sword with and Sam the dog. by his side. Yep. It's a great ending shot. And it's a wonderful setup to a sequel. It is because he's standing in this rubble and there's, you know, it's morning. The birds are singing. The house is blown to bits. Mm-hmm. It's a beautiful day. It's a really good shot. And, and this is a lot of, uh, like, there's a lot of Evil Dead, a lot of Army of Darkness kind yep. of thing here. And we've got <clears throat> our main character and his dog. And they're getting, they walk off into the sunset, and it's in the sunrise. Now, something that I I neglected to mention when when they were when Captain or when Sergeant Ron, or Sergeant Wells told him to go, he gave him a roll of film mm-hmm. and said, "Here's your proof. Yep, go tell him. Yep." So that's that's the thing because she kept taking pictures trying to flash the werewolf. She wasn't just using the. The flash of she that was camera. Taking the she was actually and taking Captain pictures. Ryan and, and uh, Sergeant Wells realized that at some point when he was up there by himself because he had the camera, so he took the film out. Yes. So, um, so then we cut to black and we get credits, and then all of a sudden over the over the credits, we get this montage of black and white pictures. Of, and they're so cool of all the werewolves. They cut to this headline of a newspaper. And it's a picture of Cooper, mm-hmm. and it says, Front page. "It says like you know, uh, did you write down what it says exactly?" You no, know I had to write it down. It's the article, and it said, "Werewolves ate my platoon," and it's a cover story. So it's a real tongue-in-cheek thing. It pans out, and it's this sort of Daily Mail thing. And the big headline is, uh, G- "England defeats Germany five to one." Yes. So, so that's callback to that thing. So it shows match. you what's more important to the English people at this Obviously. point. Obviously, um, which is a funny little bit. Also, interesting uh, little factoid: the it's supposed to it's it says that that's September first, two thousand one, which is interesting. That this is a couple like a week before nine eleven. So, you all right there? Do I need to? I'm gonna stop here too because that was guttural in my wrong pipe in my my ears. So you see at the top of the newspaper that it says September first, two thousand one. So this is like right before nine eleven. Yep. Um, which, in a, if you look at it in fantasy terms, if werewolves had become discovered, had gotten discovered a week before nine eleven, I think the world would have forgotten about the werewolves. They would have. Um, but anyway, I, he wasn't trying to do that on purpose. It just happened to be that way because also. Uh, England did defeat Germany five one in a soccer match in two thousand one. So technically, that uh, that's just a happy like mm-hmm. that worked out that way. But uh, and then we get credits, and yeah. I got to tell you that the only part of this movie I really didn't like very much was the uh, post credit pictures and goofy um, uh, newspaper. Yeah, you it's know, my least favorite part of the whole movie. I liked the photos. If they just let him walk off into the sunset, I didn't mind the photos. I didn't need to see them. I didn't need them. But I didn't mind them. It just got a little tongue-in-cheek for no reason at the end there. And and he's skirting that tone for a lot of the movie, but most of this movie is pretty serious. Yes. So it's weird that you would end it that hokey. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's the only part of the movie that I don't care for. But I like, I mean, it's there and I get it and I'm cool with it. But if I had to say my least favorite thing is definitely that post-credit thing. I just didn't need it. It was also very 2002. It was like having baby pictures of the cast on the end of a rom-com. Is yeah, but part that's of what it reminded me of. But, and that's part of why I didn't care for it. But that's why, but that's there because it's supposed to be like, uh, this is, this is the reality of growing up. This is life. 
these are our, our characters. You know, we're going to see their thing. It's cute and fun. This wasn't supposed to be cute and fun. This was like, this was like, and here's exactly what happened in the future. And I didn't need exactly what happened in the future. Um, unless the sequel is going to be a comedy. Sure. So I don't know. Whatever. That's the one part that I didn't, you know, absolutely love. But this movie, I I love this movie. But all forgiven for that because I really enjoyed watching this Yeah, film. this is one of my favorite movies. 10 out of 10 we'll watch again. Yes, 100%. I, I love this movie. And I, I never showed it to you. I forgot even why because I, I watched it kind of on a whim and was like, oh, this is great, you know, a couple of years ago because I'd been hearing about it. And then I, ne- I never brought it up until we were putting this podcast back together. And I was like, oh, shit, this is a perfect one for this podcast. Mm-hmm. And it has the great, um, you know, balance that the genre brings you. It has wonderful story building, universe building. Yeah. Um, they do a great job with the lore. They do a great job with people. Top to bottom. Um, There's not a lot of, like, if, and the other thing about this movie is if there are holes or are there thin points, they're not that important. No, they're forgiven. I don't even remember what they are, if there are and any. that's something you can do. If, if if everything in it is compelling enough, the little plot holes won't matter. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I think that, that that was really effective. So, I, I you know, bring it back to this is a, a podcast about a couple's guide to genre movies. So let me ask you this. At what point would you show this to your significant other, or how does this movie fit into uh, other people's relationships? Man, I'd watch this at the beginning of the relationship. Right away. I mean, this is just so fun. If you, if you, it, this is a great entry point to genre mm-hmm. movies. This is a great, you know, if if your significant other is not into it and you are, um, if you're both into it, this mm-hmm. is a really good movie to watch first because it's fun and it's a little bit scary and there's good tension in it. It also feels really modern. It yeah. was filmed in 2002, so there's a lot of familiarity exactly. to it. Um, it doesn't feel like it's something that you can't relate to yeah. as a human being. There's a um, lot of there's a lot of uh, it's a very human movie to yes. be about werewolves and there's very few moments where that date it yeah that there's nothing and there's nothing to uh, on that same token there's nothing to um, like there's nothing there's nothing in this movie that we could cancel. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, there's nothing in this movie. Like, they, yeah, sure that they the the army guys call uh, monsters pussies a couple times. Meh. At the end of the day, like, but it works because they're werewolves. There's not a hard F in this movie. No nope. one uses any racial slurs. Nope. I mean, like, this movie. It's, there's only one woman. It really in it? holds up. There's one woman in it. I guess you could put it that way. But it's a military group. Yeah. Um. You know, of uh, from from that time period. It's a bunch of. Uh, it is a bunch of dudes, and they immediately show how that patina of macho broness sort of mm-hmm. goes away mm-hmm. when you're thrust into a real shitty situation. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that at that point, even you could you could make the argument that that's not even that big of a thing. And the person that they do bring in a, as a, a female character is a very strong character from the beginning who has an extreme depth and, and has a lot to do with the story. And she's not the reason they're all fucked, Mm-mm. but she becomes the reason that, that they, they are by mm-hmm. the end. Mm-hmm. Um, but she is trying to help for a little while until she starts to see this. still she starts to become empathetic towards the bad guys. Oh, well, and then she realizes she can't get away. Right. And so she just gives, can't beat them, join them. Yep. yep. So um, I really, I just, this is a begin. This is a this is a like 
first week. This is a first date movie. If you're mm-hmm. if you having somebody come over once the apocalypse is over, if you know if you got somebody coming over to watch a movie and you want to show them something fun, and you're like, hey, are you into horror movies? Ah, uh, maybe, maybe not. Cool, throw this on. This would also be a great one. Say you're in a the early stages of a relationship right now. You're not quarantined together. This is a great suggestion of, oh my God, you know what you need to watch? You need to watch Dog Oh, Wars. yeah, yeah. Watch this separately. And then you guys can talk about it mm-hmm. and enjoy it. And it'll it. give you an idea of who that person is. Text the whole time during yeah. it. It's really a fun watch. Yeah, you this can is... even Zoom watch it together. Yeah, How that would be fun would too. Be? And, and this, this is across the board. This is just solid. Like, watch it wherever. It doesn't matter if you've been married for 20 years or you just started dating. Um, this is great. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a... In many ways, it is a um, sort of a compilation of all of Neil Marshall's influences, but also there's a lot of Neil Marshall in it because when mm-hmm. you look at movies like The Descent and um, and and like any of the other stuff he's directed, it, it really feels like you could watch this movie and go, "Oh, that's a Neil Marshall thing. Mm-hmm. That's a Neil Marshall thing." But you can also watch this movie and go. Uh, oh, that's a Martin Scorsese thing. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a Guy Ritchie thing. Oh, that's Spielberg. Oh, that's, that's Sam that's, Raimi. Yep. That's Joe Dante. That's uh, you know, that's uh, John Landis. It's it's it is a it isn't it isn't a pastiche, but it is an homage. Yes, and it's done in a tasteful way. It doesn't feel like it's done in a fanboy. I'm parody. ripping it off. Yeah. I'm not making a joke of it. No. Um, they're not just using it. He uses all of those techniques for a reason. Yes, it's purposeful. Yeah, um, and he does it in the the right way. Yeah. He pays it uh, respect. There's a couple of references that date it. the The Matrix. If you want to really date something, have a Matrix reference. Sure. It's like in Edgar Wright Space. There's a whole episode that is uh, where these where the it's the season premiere of the the second season series of Spaced. It's where Daisy comes back from her holiday mm-hmm. and the two Agent Smith, you know, Matrix agent guys are coming after her for mm-hmm. taking some briefcase thing. Mm-hmm. And then the whole thing is a Matrix allegory and it's direct lines from the Matrix and they do all the bullet timey things. And that dates it so much because those references did not hold up as long as people thought they would. So as soon as he said there is no spoon, I went, ugh. Right. But I, I got it. I know why. But it's those little things that are the only things that date it, and they don't even, they don't even, they don't bump you enough to but take see, you out of it. Give me the there is no spoon. Don't give me the slow mo falling backwards with the bullet flying over your chest. Oh yeah, and Edgar Wright has said specifically that he regrets that. Sure, <laughs> they all sort of regret that part. You know, we were all in two thousand two. It was a hard year. <laughs> we were back in this weird bubblegum thing post nine eleven, and it was just, you know, it was a time. Yeah. Weirdly enough, all of my international travel happened after nine eleven. Interesting. The next year in two thousand two, I traveled to Finland. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so my very first international travel in high, like in high school, happened like right after the World Trade Center and all of our travel restrictions changed. So I don't know what it's like to travel internationally before nine eleven. It's a different game. Yeah, it's, it's weird. A different game. Um, so I, what do you want to rate this, son of a bitch? Oh my god, I have to give this. I have to give this. Nine Screaming Werewolves. Hey! Because... I'm giving it Nine Screaming Werewolves as well. It's just so much fun. Yes. I, I can't stop smiling thinking about this the movie. The only reason I didn't give it a 10 is because I feel like this can't be the top of the... Uh, uh, the top of... I can't put it all the way at the top. Sure. 
it's not perfection. I'm looking for perfection, but it is the closest thing to perfection in terms of entertaining, enjoyable genre film that doesn't have a lot of holes in it and isn't like, you know, that holds up, that is universally likable. It passes the, if they had a cell phone, they would be able to remedy the situation. Like, it doesn't have that element to it, which is something that bothers me. You don't even think about their uh, communication connectivity. At any point, because all they have is they're dropped into a place because they're military. It's a training exercise. The only radios they have don't work anymore because they're in the forest. And they address it very quickly Mm -hmm. and succinctly so that you're not thinking about it. Because I am the person who always am just like, but if they, can't they just call for help like and even if they could call for help is anybody getting to them is going to be very difficult yeah they're way way out in the middle of nowhere so by the time we get to the the cottage even because we had cell phones at this point we did yeah i had a cell phone in 2002 it never left my side yeah um but if you're in the scottish highlands and you're in the middle of nowhere that cell phone wouldn't help you very much they're having military radio problems yeah you don't got service you can't hear me now this is our yeah this is our, our highest rated episode really quickly. And, and I just, I struggled going back and forth. I was like, do I give it an eight? Do I give it, I want to give it a 10, but I can't give it, a, can't give it a 10. Surely. Because there are some things in it where I'm like, well, that doesn't, that doesn't work. But it's so almost perfect. Ugh. It's just, it's so good. And he made a pretty much perfect movie in The Descent too. The Descent's mm-hmm. amazing. Um, but honestly, I feel like The Descent might even have more confusing plot holes than this does. This doesn't really have any. The thing is, is that he didn't stray too far from the formula. The Descent also has multiple endings, depending on where it was released. Um, Yeah, he doesn't stray from the formula, but you don't ever... And the other thing is that you don't ever... um, You're never bumped by the formula. No, you're not bumping up against the formula thinking, oh, well, I know what's happening next because this is where we are. It's time for the dark night of the soul. And nothing's ever hokey. Nope. Um, everything is played straight, even the jokes, and that's important. It is because it's something also that he um, that when John Landis made uh, American Werewolf in London, he wanted to make a horror movie that also happened to be funny. Mm-hmm. It's not a comedy that also happens to be a horror movie, even though people didn't know how to take that at the time. So sure. it's billed as a comedy back in the day that is also a horror movie it's very much not everything is played straight and that movie's fucked up sometimes I mean, it's a very and the, the ending sure. is so bleak well it's kind of like when you need to put a little bit of chocolate in your chili yeah. to kind of round it out if your horror doesn't have just that little sprinkling of comedic salt it doesn't have the same but it's also the reason why uh, horror comedies on the whole don't work sure um there have only been a few that do Mm-hmm. Because, because you ha- they have confusing. to be both, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you kind of have to lean heavily one way or the other. And the truth is, you have to lean heavily into the horror, yes, and let it be a little bit funny. Mm-hmm. And then, no way is this a horror comedy, but there's funny elements in it that yes. are such good tension breakers, yes. And they're they're short and quick and easy, and they're not. And that's why you remember <clears throat> them because they're breaking the tension, they're uh, breaking up the action. Yeah. Um, this is definitely an action horror movie with funny moments yeah 100 percent. and it, and it it does owe its owe a great of de- a debt of gratitude to so many other movies but again i'm fine with it i love this movie go watch it it's mm-hmm. out there for everyone to find very easily now because there was a time when you really couldn't um and it looks great 
this is a gem. I will be watching it again. And yep. I'll be recommending it to everyone who will listen to me and mm-hmm. accept me my FaceTime call. Now, next week, I don't know exactly what we're going to watch, but I'm sure it will be somewhere not probably as good as this. No, it's probably <laughs> going to be a little bit more painful. We needed a little bit of a, a, a palate cleanser after Caged Heat. Yeah. Um, I wanted something a little bit more fun, and this was the perfect palate cleanser. And these all aren't going to be painful, but you know what? Sometimes they're going to, a lot of the time, they're going to be ones that I haven't even seen, so it's a crapshoot. You know what? Pain is beauty. Sometimes you have to suffer through a little bit of pain to find the gem. Not everything's going to be good during the pandemic. That's true. But what could be good is if you send us an email or you. Followed us on social media stuff. Uh, you can send us an email at b.trothed, b.trothed at gmail.com, b.trothed at gmail.com. Send us, uh, you know, if you have questions, relationship questions relating to uh, horror movies or just, you know, how, how to deal with your relationship in terms of genre film and being a big old nerd for stuff that's like blood gore guts and um, i want to know what genre dirty words. films are getting you through this time yeah uh tell us that too if you want to just tell us what you've been watching let us know uh if you have questions or anything like that you want to just just you know, just shout us out and just be like hey i'm enjoying this mm-hmm. um or hey i disagreed with you i didn't like that movie or i did like that movie hit me uh let us know you can shoot us an email there b.trothed at gmail.com also you can follow us on instagram at betrothed pod and on twitter at betrothed all spelled the same way betrothed without the e um and you can follow me at i am chris hayden on all the things i am kt may 2k on all the things and until next week fuck off and die fuck off and die <laughs> <laughs>